You're listening to Look at the Film, a podcast that covers Philly sports and topics trending across the nation. For your hosts, Brent Thumb and Frank Graybars, the third, our two straight shooters that have been debating sports since their high school days, right outside of Philadelphia. Before they have rants, they have fun, and they keep it real. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Thumb and Frank Graybars, the third. And welcome back to Look at the Film, the pod of rants, fun, and real. My name is Brent Baum, and I'm not only your favorite contrarian, I'm the only contrarian. I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And that's right. Welcome back to the pod of Rants Fun and Real. Got another edition, our second episode of Look at the Film with my co-host, Frank Graybars, the third. And a lot of good topics today. We're going to be talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and their divisional matchup going against the Falcons. Got NFL playoffs, the first week of the wild card. It was a real wild one, no pun intended. Then we're going to talk about a national championship game, Alabama, Georgia, Nick Saban collecting his sixth national championship, tying Bear Bryant for the most national championships by a college football coach in NCAA history. But first, let's talk about this wild card. First week of the playoffs, Eagles draw the Falcons' first game in the divisional matchup Saturday, January 13th at 4.30 p.m. Temperature is supposed to be 52 degrees, mostly cloudy, and it's a shock the first time in NFL history that a one-seeded team is a two-and-a-half-point underdog going into this matchup, especially since the fact that the Falcons are the sixth seed in this matchup. So with the weather being 52 degrees, Frank, I mean, this, this whole entire week, last couple of days, it's been freezing, absolutely freezing. Yeah, it's going to be 52 degrees on Saturday. So how does this bode well for the Eagles, Frank? What are some of your thoughts? I think it's going to bode well for both teams, honestly. Uh, Cold weather, it doesn't matter if you're a Philadelphia player or you're an Atlanta player. Cold weather is cold weather, you know. The past couple days up there, the last two games, it's been colder than a frozen ham in a deep freezer. And Nick Foles struggled in those games against Dallas and Oakland. So, uh I think it's going to help him out, honestly, but I find it absolutely embarrassing and I find it disgraceful that the Eagles are an underdog. Yeah, well, honestly, I'm not surprised. See, the NFC South, without a doubt, has been the best division in football. You had three teams from the NFC South get into the postseason this year with the Saints, the Panthers, and the Falcons, respectively. And I just don't like the matchup for the Eagles. As long as Nick Foles, the Fool's gold, is going to be starting in this game. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, you look at the last five meetings at the link. The Eagles are 4-1 against the Falcons, dating back to 2006. And the last year when the Falcons played against the Eagles at the link, the Eagles won 24-15. Uh, it was in November. The, we- the weather wasn't too cold. But at the same time, Carson Wentz was playing in that game. And as long as Nick Foles is in the game, I just have no confidence in him. Not, not, so, not any confidence whatsoever. Because the Falcons, they're a very fast, speedy defense. They're not as physical as the Eagles defense, but they're very fast. You look at Deion Jones. He's all over the field. He's looking like one of the best inside linebackers out there. And they got a good pass rush with Vic Beasley. So I think Nick Foles, if he does not make quick decisions in this game, he's going to be in for a long day. Long day. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm uh, I'm actually glad we pulled Atlanta over New Orleans. I, I wouldn't want to face New Orleans um, at all. 
but you never know. You never know. Yeah, and I think that any team they would have played against since NSC is not like one great team in this NSC, but all the teams are pretty good. They're pretty balanced. They have a good offense. They have a good defense. Anybody would have played. The Eagles would have been the underdog. I, I still find that disrespectful. I get it. I get why they're saying they're the underdog because of how Nick Foles has performed the last two weeks. Uh, sorry, not last week, but the last two weeks of the regular season. Uh, I get that, but I, I just still find it disrespectful. You're the you're the number one overall seed. You're third. You were thirteen and three. You could even argue you were thirteen and two because the last game really didn't matter. Uh, it's just I, it's just disrespectful. Uh, but but that's what they've been doing to the Eagles all year. They've been counting them out. Yeah, well, I, honestly, Frank, I think they got it right. I really think that the Eagles should be the underdog going into this game. Carson Wentz was in this game, absolutely, completely different story. But the fact that Nick Foles, last couple of games, he has looked, he has looked very pedestrian. He, he has looked draconian. He's been virtually non-existent. And I've been a saying that. I've been an advocate for this for the longest time. If Nick Foles does not play well, I think it's about time you, you throw in uh, Nate Sudfeld and get him some reps. I really think that. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean look at, you look at the fact that Nick Foles, he's not, I don't think he's going to get any better. And we look at this type of game, uh, Eagles and Falcons. And I'll, I'll let you interject, Frank. I know you're not a big fan of me saying that Nick, Nate Sudfeld should get no, no, the start. I, but, I, but I'll say I'll say this, and then I'll let you interject. What I was going to say is that with this type of game, obviously the Falcons, uh, they look very similar to what they were last year uh, when they had one of the most explosive offenses. They got to the Super Bowl. But this type of game, the Eagles, if they want to win this game, they're going to really have to win the time of possession. Jay Ajayi is going to have to get at least 25 to 30 carries. They're going to have to control the game on the ground. And they're going to have to get consistent pressure on Matt Ryan if they want to have any success to win this game. And plus, Nick Foles, you know, Nick Foles just has to manage the game. I know that's a term. It's a, it's a term. It's a stigma that people use against quarterbacks. But that's all Nick Foles needs to do. Manage the game. Make the passes in the immediate game. Make quick decisions. And the Eagles just might have a chance. But that's not what's going to happen. And I guarantee it. In the second half, Nate Sudfeld will be the Eagles' starting quarterback. I uh, I only laugh just because I love when you get on these rants uh, about like Patrick Mahomes and Colin Kaepernick and RG three and now Nate Sudfeld. So I just I I love I love your arguments when it comes to that. Um, but no, I I agree. Atlanta got is getting hot at the right time. Um, Nick Foles is really need he's going to need to step his game up. I'm starting to agree with you. The past, even though the last game of the season meant nothing, he looked ugly in Oakland. It was embarrassing. Uh, I, you know, I said in our last episode, you know, I have faith. I have P H A I T H, but I, I'm starting to lose that faith. Um, I don't think Nick Foles can get it done. I think we need to focus. We need to get the running game going because if we can't get the running game going and we force Nick Foles to pass. It's just, it's not going to be good for us. And then on top of that, you I mean Atlanta secondaries is is pretty good. Uh, if we get behind in the game and we can't establish that run, you know Nick Foles is going to keep passing and passing and passing, and it's not going to be good for us. Exactly, and, and that's the thing you, you talk about passing. Uh, this past uh, Saturday, Falcons and Rams. Falcons won that game twenty six thirteen, and in that game, you really saw that the Rams they really started to abandoned the run game, and forced the pass. I mean, Todd Gurley finished that game with 14 carries, 101 yards, and in the entire second half, he only rushed the ball six times. 
However, he had 66 yards, and it got to the point where Sean McVay was calling a lot of passing plays. Jared Goff was just forcing a lot of passes, and I don't want that to happen to the Eagles. I don't want the Eagles to be in that type of situation. I mean, when you watch that game, the Falcons and the Rams, why did Todd Gurley stop getting the ball? I think that's – I think that just kind of shows more of the inexperience with McVay, uh, play calling. Um, I don't know. I Most teams get that way. When when they start getting behind, they want to start forcing throws. They want to start, you know, hey, we got to catch up quickly. No, control the clock. It, when you have the ball, you control the time of possession, you're, you're going to be fine. You know, you move – you can move the ball on them with the run game. So why abandon that? I don't know. Yeah, and the thing that bothers, I think that's something that the Eagles can use. That's something that Frank Reich and Doug Pierce can use going into this game on Saturday. Give Jay Ajayi the ball. You've got to run with the Jay train. You have to run with him. The Falcons, they're high explosive offense, but against the Rams, they have more of a conservative approach. They maintained the ball for 37 minutes in that game. I mean, Freeman and Coleman, they combined for 32 carries, 106 yards. So that's something I feel like the Eagles really need to exploit. They need to use Jay for the most part, but use uh, Blunt and at least use uh, yeah use Blunt and even use Corey Clement and run the football because if they if they do that they might have a chance. They just might have a chance because even though the Falcons secondary is pretty good, they do give up yards on the ground. Gurley, if they would have gave Gurley on Gurley, if he would have rushed the ball twenty eight times, he would have been on pace. He was on pace for two hundred two yards against the Falcons. Hey, I, I agree. I mean, LA's, LA's defense kept them in the game by forcing, was it five field goals? Uh, so they did their part, but we can't, we can't abandon the run. You got Jay. He's a faster blunt, but he's as powerful as blunt. You got blunt. You got Corey Clement. Yeah, run the ball. Cause I don't know if, I really don't know if Torrey Smith or Alshon Jeffrey is going to be able to separate themselves from that secondary. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Frank. They, they need to run the ball. You know, the Eagles run the ball at least 35 times. I think, Frank, I think they're deserving of that Liberty Bell. Oh. You know, I, you know they got to run the ball 35 times. I, I want to hear the Liberty Bell. You know, that, that's, that's what we're going to be hearing if, if the Eagles run the ball at least 35 times. And oh. they, they abandoned the whole West Coast scheme of pass first. No, run the ball. Especially, you got to compliment your quarterback. I, if you want to pass and do the run option when you have Wentz behind center, completely understand. He's succeeded all year with that. But Nick Foles isn't that. He's not athletic. He's a snowman. He just stands there. Well, and, I've been saying this. Uh, sorry, Frank. <laughs> no, it's fine. He's just a snowman. He stands there. He doesn't do anything. He's not athletic, just like snowmen aren't athletic. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, I use you know, my analogies. I always say that uh, Nick Foles has, you know, he's like the combination of Napoleon Dynamite and Big Bird. I mean, <laughs> he, just, he, just waddles, he just waddles in that pocket. He has no mobility whatsoever. It, it's really shocking to me that – see, it, a lot of people know, they, they talk about this a lot. Nick Foles was a very good high school basketball player. However, he doesn't have mobility. Most of these guys that, that were good basketball players, they have mobility whether you're talking about Jimmy Graham or Antonio Gates, those guys, I get it. They're position players, but they have mobility. And you would think Nick Foles would have the same thing, but for whatever reason, he does not. And if Nick Foles does not make quick decisions in this game, the Falcons' uh, pass rush are going to get after him. 
Because you see, they have some guys like Vic Beasley and Claiborne and Atari Poe. And in the matchup with the Falcons against the Rams, they did get after Jared Goff a couple of times. They did uh, force three sacks on Jared Goff. And Jared Goff in that game, he only completed 53% of his passes. He was 24 for 45. So more than anything, you can see that even though the Falcons, a lot of people look at the Falcons offense as being the main thing to worry about with Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, that Falcons defense is coming up. They have a lot of young, talented guys. I agree, and if I, th- I think if they had that defense, they wouldn't have uh, blown that lead late in last year's Super Bowl. Uh, no, but to uh, reiterate on what you – kind of piggyback on what you said in regards to Nick Foles, uh, he looks like one of the brothers from Hanson. You know the band like that sung Mbop? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like look up the – look up – when you get a chance, anyone listening to this, look up the Hanson brothers that sung that song, Mbop, whatever it is. Uh, he looks like one of those guys. Hey, he might be able to sing. We all know, but we know he's not an athletic quarterback. And now, I'm ch- now, now, which one? I think I think he looks the most like Isaac. Yeah, I, I don't I don't have the pictures up in front of me right now. Hold on, and uh, but no, like he he may be able to sing, but he's not athletic. And I know I know people are probably sitting there saying that I'm uh changing my tune from uh last episode. Oh, you really are though, Frank. I remember last episode. You you were on the the Foles bandwagon, the Foles Gold bandwagon. I mean that that deserves a Liberty Bell. But now now you're getting off of it though. Now you now you're coming on to the good side, my side. <laughs> I just I don't know. I mean I think it, he had a fluke year in 2013. Um, I still think he's the best backup quarterback in the league. But in other the than league, that, the best uh, backup quarterback. Oh, he's in the best back. Yeah, he's the best backup. Even even better than Patrick Mahomes. Oh, of course. Let's be real here. Oh man, I know. I know. I know. Uh, the the Big Twelve doesn't really bow well 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 with you. I know you're a Big Ten guy, but come on, yeah, you gotta give Patrick Mahomes some credit. Patrick Mahomes is the future of the NFL. Yeah, uh, that's a little that's a little far fetched. I think if we're, we're talking future of the NFL, we're talking Jared Goff, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz. And speaking of the Chiefs, speak of the Chiefs. That's all we're talking about in this town, in Philly. It's how Andy Reid, once again, he blew a lead in the playoffs. The ultimate collapse, being up 21-3 at half, and they end up losing the game 22-21 against the Titans. There's a lot of controversy going on in that game, a lot of controversy with the referees, but they still managed to lose the game. And it was, just, it was a real enigma how the Chiefs, they just were going, they were just going, attacking the air. Everything was running very smoothly in the first half. And then... Obviously, you hit that point where Trey Kelsey, he, he suffered a concussion. The Chiefs were still up 14-3 at that time. And then they scored the, on the last second uh, drive, the last drive to make the score 21-3 at half. And then after that, everything just changed for the Chiefs, everything. They, they, they banned the run. Kareem Hunt only had 11 carries in that game. Alex Smith, he, he couldn't find anybody open. The receivers weren't getting any separation. The Titans just went on this ridiculous run. And, and I, I, was, I was very disappointed because the Chiefs are my AFC team. I understand how Philadelphia feels about Andy Reid, but I always being an Andy Reid guy. And it was just one of the most bizarre comebacks I've ever seen because it was not a pretty comeback at all by the Titans. No, it was, it, was, it was an ugly comeback. But I would think it was just an uglier collapse by the Chiefs. Well, that's Andy Reid. Andy Reid cannot win the games when they matter the most. Uh, I also think, and I, I know you'll side with me, 
Alex Smith is not a top 10 quarterback in this league. And, and, the, and the fact that he was even considered in the MVP talks halfway through the season, it's just a disgrace to the quarterback position. A disgrace. Say it with me, Frank. It was a disgrace. A disgrace. Absolutely a disgrace. I mean, look at Alex Smith. Alex Smith, see, Alex Smith, I don't understand. I can't even describe what Alex Smith is. Sometimes he looks like an elite quarterback, and other times he goes back to being a game-managing quarterback. Uh, a lot of people this year are saying, yeah, Alex Smith, he's in the conversation with Tom Brady this year for MVP because he had only the best quarterback rating this year uh, of all the quarterbacks, 104 quarterback rating, 26 touchdowns, only five interceptions, a career high over 4,000 yards. Yet when you watch the Chiefs, a lot of his production is on short passes. He has an explosive player in Tyreek Hill who is probably the fastest player in the NFL right now. Yeah. He does throw some deep passes to him. He throws some deep passes to Travis Kelsey through the seams, but it's not enough. It's that Smith line. That Smith line is, is that line where you're not quite a game manager, but you're also not quite a game. I mean, you're also quite not a franchise quarterback. He's not even a game changer. He's just a game manager. I mean, like you said, he's got Travis Kelsey, who is arguably up there right now with best tight ends in the league next to Rob Gronkowski. You've got Tyreek Hill, like you stated. He's got Kareem Hunt lining up behind him. He's got a solid defense, but he can't win. Like Alex Smith can't win, and and we can we could talk Andy Reid and his play calling, and we could talk Andy Reid is bad with clock uh, with time management at the end of the game. But Alex Smith is not going to take you to the promised land, Chiefs fans. It's time exactly. to move on. It is time to move on, and this is why I don't put this on Andy Reid. I don't put it on Andy Reid. I know everybody wants to say. Andy Reid, I know there's fans out there who feel bad for Andy Reid blowing this lead. It was very reminiscent to when they blew that lead against the Colts, one of the biggest comebacks by the Colts in NFL playoff history. But look at the stats. Look at the numbers. Look at the film. Andy Reid is only the most winningest coaches of all time. He's 11th all time. Andy Reid has 183 wins. Which and only 120 losses, which means that he wins 60% of his games. Now, I get it. I get it, people out there. I get it. I get it, Philly. I understand. He's 11-13 and 13 in the playoffs. But he does have five NFC championship appearances. And he has one Super Bowl appearance. And it just, it just befuddles me that Andy Reid, as successful as he is, he gets more criticism than a coach like Hugh Jackson. Yes, Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson, the Browns head coach, he's won one game in two seasons. He's gotten the Browns to be 1-32 in two seasons, yet he doesn't even get remotely as much criticism as Andy Reid does. Why is that, Frank? Why is that? Because no one has any faith in Cleveland year in and year out. Uh, Andy Reid is consistently making it, taking his team to the playoffs when he was with the Eagles, not towards the end of this, his, his tenure there, but also with the Chiefs, he turned that team around. Yes, I'll give him credit for that, but he's brought him consistently to the playoffs. But the problem is he can't win when you need him to win. So that's why he's getting criticism because people are tired of going to the playoffs and being a one-and-done team. Right, but see, people got it backward, though. They got it backward. Andy Reid turned the Chiefs team that was – what, 2-1-14 before he got there? He's, beat, he's only beaten the Eagles twice. And, yes, I'm going to Ville. A Ville's going to Ville. 
I mean, I get that. But see, the thing about it is he got the Chiefs to, what, four playoff appearances in five years? They only missed the playoffs once since he's been there. And it's not only Andy Reid. It really is not only Andy Reid. I think that the face of that game against the Titans, it really just changed once Travis uh, Kelsey got hurt. I get it. They scored a touchdown without Travis Kelsey. But that whole second half, Alex Smith, he just couldn't get anything done. Alex Smith had, what, six completions? He only had six completions for 35 yards in the second half. That's not Andy Reid's fault. You can't put that on Andy Reid. You can't put that on Big Red. Oh, I don't put – I don't. Also, I was going to say that the the Titans, they control the time possession in that game. They won the time possession 32 minutes, and they controlled the game. Uh, Derrick Henry was just running through the teeth of that defense, just running through the teeth of that defense. He had 153 yards on 20 – I mean, 156 yards on 23 carries. And Marcus Mariota, he didn't have the the greatest game. But at the same time, he showed some serious poise in that game, even when they were down 21-3. to And that that great pass he threw to Eric Decker. Frank, you could have caught that pass. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I'll always say maybe. Because I'm not not as athletic as Decker. Let's be real here. Um, I don't have hops. But that pass was that good, though. When you, when you look at that, when you look at the film, that pass was just impeccable. Oh, yeah. Mariota's a stud. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. But um, I, want you to say, I want you to say it with me, Brent. Uh, and, and I agree with you on certain aspects. We can't put a lot of the blame on Andy Reid. Um, but we need to bring Alex Smith out to the curb. Okay? We, need to put him next, we need to bring him down to Sesame Street and put him ne- next to Oscar the Grouch because he is garbage. See, I, I, would, I would actually put him next to uh, the Cookie Monster, you know, <laughs> because because Alex Smith, I don't know what it is. The guy never smiles. He always seems so 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 grumpy. Like I don't, I don't know what's 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 going on with this guy. Maybe because he he doesn't feel the job security. Maybe because ever since he's been drafted, he's been told that he's going to be a game manager and that he doesn't have he's not a franchise quarterback. But I would put him next to Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster. Okay, yeah, he doesn't smile because he knows he's garbage. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> I mean, he got. He didn't do that great in San Francisco. Got benched for Colin Kaepernick. Uh, so I agree. Uh, you can't put all the blame on Andy Reid, um, but I still think there's some of the blame has to be put on him. Why? Well, they have six losses, home losses, the most in NFL. Six home losses in the uh, postseason um, consecutively, or something like that. Uh, it, yeah. It, I mean, like I said. You got to put the blame on Alex Smith, and you also got to put the blame on Andy Reid. They have the weapons. They just didn't get it done. And, and that's really the question mark now. A lot of people are, are speculating where Alex Smith will land next year. Will he go to the, to the Browns, the team that's been 1-32 in 32 the, the last two seasons? Will they keep Alex Smith? Will they keep uh, Mahomes on the bench for another year? And, and that's one of the questions that, that, that gets brought up a lot in our world, job security. Job security. We all, we all want job security. All of us want job security. We, we want our boss to tell us that, to give us reassurance, to tell us that we're doing a good job, that, that we're going we're gonna to hold on to you for an extended period of time, that we're not going to just dump you off the next second that something else better comes along. And, and, and that's the thing about it. We look at the NFL, a lot of job security. It, it's, it's a tough world out there for the NFL coaches I never understood this whole thing. Mike Malarkey, a lot of people going into this game were saying that Mike Malarkey's job was on the line. He had to win one game just to keep his job. 
And, and, and last time I checked, one win, one play, one game should not determine a coach's job security. Just look at work. One mistake I might make at work does not deserve me to get fired from my job unless I violate, let's say, a policy that my job might have. And that's what we're looking at Mike Malarkey. People are saying Mike Malarkey's job is safe now because he won one game against the Chiefs, and it was a fluke win at that. So how do you feel about that? You think the Titans are treating him right by telling him that, hey, you might have saved your job just because you won one playoff game with a 9-7 and record, I may add. Absolutely not. He should not be under scrutiny or under fire. Uh, I mean, the Titans, this is their first time being back to the playoffs in years. So you got to give him credit for that. But that's a problem. In today's society, it's about it, when, it, when it comes more to sports, uh, NBA, NFL, MLB, uh, even hockey for that matter, and college sports. Everybody wants to win now. We want to win right now. Oh, you can't do that for us? All right, we might give you a second season. Oh, you still haven't you still haven't gotten to the playoffs? You still haven't competed for a championship? Okay, you're gone. Bye. Fired. Moving on to the next guy. Which people fail to realize it takes time, it takes years to set up a system within the NFL to build a roster. And yes, there are fluke seasons. Like for example, Philly had with Carson Wentz this year. They they built they brought players in around them to win now. Uh, and obviously they're competing now. They're in the divisional round. But too many people are too worried about, I want to win right now, right now. And when it doesn't get done, we say, well, the co- it's the coach's fault. Exactly. Goodbye. Exactly. And if I was going to fire Mike Malarkey, it wouldn't be, be just based off how well he played in the play. I mean, how well he coached in the playoffs or the fact that he got one win. I would, I would fire him based off, if I were to fire him, it would be based off the entire season. The 9-7 season. Now, quite frankly, I like Mike Malarkey. I like that he's a run-heavy, smash-mouth, old-school type of coach. Those are my type of coaches. I like smash-mouth football, Frank. Yeah, it's fun to watch. It, it is. It's, it's become obsolete in this day and age of football. So I, I really enjoy that. But we need to take a pause for the calls. And on the next, next segment, we are going to talk a little bit. We're going we're gonna to have some closure about that game because there was some controversy, Frank. There was some controversy about the officiating in that game. And I really want to look at some of those controversial calls that the officials made in that Titans game that a lot of people were talking about. We'll be right back after these messages. If you enjoy listening to Look at the Film, then visit podcast.com. In the search bar, type Look at the Film. Believe me, you don't want to miss any episodes. That's podcast with an S dot com. Hit that download button so that Brent and Frank can keep this podcast on the air. And welcome back to Look at the Film, the Potter Rants Fun and Real. We're back, and I want to get to some of the controversial calls that happened this past Saturday. It was the Chiefs and Titans, and a lot of people are talking about the, the Mariota to Mariota touchdown, where he was allegedly, where he was behind a line of scrimmage, and he threw a touchdown pass to himself. That happened years back with Brad Johnson and the Vikings, and everybody seemed to think that he was over the line. And initially, the referee, they had the call of the quarterback was behind the line and he was in shotgun. Therefore, he is an eligible receiver. However, once again, I feel like the referees, they need to look back at the rule book, Frank. And the rule book says, NFL rules states that it is a four pass from beyond the line of scrimmage. 
if the passer's entire body and the ball are beyond the line of scrimmage when the ball is released, whether the passer is airborne or touching the ground. And last time I checked, people were saying that Mariota's left foot was over, yet his left, his left foot was airborne, which means that it was legal. And there was no, I had no problem with the pass. I thought it was really cool to see Mariota, you know, Mar- Mariota, Mariota for a touchdown. I, I agree with you. I don't think it was a forward pass. Everybody's looking at the, the line that uh, TV puts down, the line that ESPN uh, put down on the field. Um, so you can't just look at that line because it's not an official line. It's about where uh, the little stanchion thing is on the sideline. I thought it was a, a good play. It's crazy touchdown. Uh, but I thought it was legal. I thought he was behind the line of scrimmage, and you're not going to get any argument from me there. Yeah, I mean, people just need to stop talking about it. Like, I was talking to a Chiefs fan the other day, and he was all, time to get rid of Andy Reid. Andy Reid needs to go. I'm tired of Andy Reid. They need to bring in the, the, the coordinator, uh, Nagy. Well, we all know Nagy. He's now the Bears' new head coach. But it's just, it's just crazy, and, and that's the thing about it, that – People, a lot of times, when you're a fan, when you're a passionate fan, a lot of times we, we tend to just act as if the rules don't exist, and we don't look at the rules. That's why, that's why we are called to look at the film. See, Frank and I, we look at the film. We look at everything. Yeah, we do. I, and look, I, I'm guilty, as it, uh, guilty of it as anyone else is when it comes to arguing refs, right? Uh, I think the Eagles are one of the most penalized teams in the NFL, it bothers me when I, I see them getting called for stuff that I don't see other teams. I get it, but I can also be objective about it and go, all right, that was a good call. Fans, fans are just trying to find an excuse. I thought it was a good play. I'm not a, obviously, I'm not a Titans fan, nor am I a Chiefs fan, so I could really care less if it was legal or not legal. But for the integrity of the game, it was a legal play. Stop your whining. Take your, uh, your tidy whities Take a unwad them from your from your behind and, and uh, just you know lick your wounds and move on with your life. T- tidy whities, Frank. I, I haven't heard tidy whities in a long time. Yeah, tidy whities are not comfortable. B- boxers or briefs? Uh, bah, briefs. Yeah, I'm, I'm a boxers guy. Always been. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. But but another thing though, Frank. Another thing, Frank. You know. We look at the, 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 a play that the officials got wrong, though. That is one thing that Derek Johnson hit where he exploded through the A-gap and knocked Mariota backward. And the referees, I don't know if they call it forward progress, but I think they call it forward progress. And you can clearly see that before Mariota's knee leaves even down, the ball was loose, and the Chiefs clearly recovered the ball. That's another thing the referees missed out on. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to ever have a perfect game. Um, we can nitpick in Monday quarterback, uh, no pun intended, um, the, the calls on the field. Uh, but was that really a turning point in the game? Did, did that really, did that really determine the outcome? Well, well, I will tell you something though, Frank, you know, and then you can finish your thought. There was a turning point, the two point conversion, the two point conversion where the Titans had taken a lead 22 to 21 and Basically, Mariota was backpedaling, and I think it was Sorensen, Daniel Sorensen, came after Mari- Mariota, and basically he was getting ready to tackle him. Mar- Mariota was going backward. It wasn't forward progress, and they ruled it forward progress, and Mar- Mariota dropped the ball, and, and Daniel Sorensen could have easily picked up the ball, 
and ran it back for a two-point conversion to give the Chiefs a 23-22 to lead. Okay, and so then that call was missed, and that, that could have uh, determined the outcome of the game. But, but these plays really, a lot of them don't. With, with ample opportunities within a game to win it, fans want to make the excuses about certain calls. Now, for example, to go back a few weeks, that was a catch in Pittsburgh. That determined the outcome of the game. Yes, they had another play, and then Ben Roethlisberger uh, threw an interception. But if, he had made, if they called it correctly, it was a catch, it was a touchdown, then we wouldn't be having that. It wouldn't matter about the interception now. But that's a turning point. Yeah. That's, a bad, that's a bad call that determined the outcome of a game. But if you're going to make the argument, oh, the, uh, he had that touchdown. Well, Kansas City, he was in front of the line of scrimmage. He was forward pass. The stupid ref screwed my, my chief. Wah, wah, wah. You still had ample opportunities to go back down the field after uh, Tennessee scored that touchdown and to score your own touchdown. Kansas City, you have no one to blame but yourselves for losing that game. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the Chiefs, they blew the game. I just like to look at because I think that's a lot of times nowadays because we have so much technology to just look at. We can pull up anywhere, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram, whether it's a meme making fun of a call that referee got wrong, or whether we're, we're getting index cards to, to measure out the, the distance of the first down. You know, you know, I had, I had a lot of drama, and I had no problem with the index. I was a fan of the index card. But the point I'm making is that a lot of times we can see it as fans. We can see exactly – we have the technology now where we can see every little ounce, every little inch, everything. We can see it. We have ocular proof now whether officials get the calls right or we have resources where we can actually look at what exactly the rules are. And it's, it's interesting how some of these referees, they're, they need, they're actually – they are trained. They are paid. It's part of their job description to know all the rules. And I feel at times these officials don't know all the rules. They forget the rules, like the whole shotgun thing. In fact, that he used the term that Mariota was in shotgun, which allowed him to uh, throw the ball to himself in that situation. He didn't have to throw in the fact that it was a shotgun. All he had to say was that the quarterback was behind the line of scrimmage and it was a legal pass. That was it. So I just think it is interesting how referees at times, they miss calls, which I have no problem with. It happens. It does happen, but they need to realize that we're, we're almost becoming the, the referee at home in our living room, Frank. We're, we're becoming the referee because we have all the resources right in front of us. And I think there's times I can referee these games better than they do. Like, I'd be screaming at my TV, that's a hold. Okay, well, we're not going to call that. You know, that's a false start. Okay, we're not going to call that. And, uh, yes, I, I agree. A lot of these refs sometimes don't know the rules. They make the bad calls. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily think you should argue. You you can argue the call you want, but unless it determines the outcome of the game, like legitimately last play of the game, uh, like in Pittsburgh and new England, um, that's one thing to be upset about. Like refs, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but if it's a call that happened midway through the second quarter and the game's tied and then your team chokes and then the other team wins and then you're going to use that as an excuse of why your team lost, I think that's it's, it's poor. It's oh, yeah. A poor, it's a poor excuse. I agree. I mean, I don't think one play determines a game. But I, I'm going to say this much, though, Frank. Come Saturday, 435, 
those officials, every official in the link, they better know every, every single rule in the rule book. <laughs> they better know it. Because, because we, we, we lost the weather advantage, the temperature, 52 degrees. We talked about that earlier in the show. We lost that advantage. Yep. Now we have Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, William Penn Charter's finest, Exton PA. He's coming back to Philly. He's familiar with this territory. He's not the dome baby that everybody seemed to think he is. He can play on the cold weather. When I look at Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan looks like a quarterback that we don't have right now. No, we don't. Nick Foles is just a, a tall person that can't move very well. He's a like a, like my William Penn statue sitting right here next yeah. to me. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing about it. That's what I was going to bring up. I, that's one thing that, that continues to get brought up. It's really funny when you talk about Matt Ryan and they say he's a local guy. and But some people out there say, Matt Ryan, he's not really a local guy. He's from Exton, PA. Is he a local guy, Frank? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, he's a local guy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't know where Exton, PA is. I'm going to Google it. Um, but, no, I consider him a local guy. Uh, he went and played college at, you know, Boston College. And, but outside of that, he went to, he went to uh, Whiteland Township, Chester County. Oh, yeah, he's a local guy. Yeah, he is a local guy. I mean, he, he played football at William Penn Charter School. And you know what that is? It's in Philadelphia. So yeah, he, I don't get it, why people say that. Is it because of where he was born? Like he was born there? Or why, why do they say he's not a local guy? I mean, I, I, could, I could sit there and say, well, you know, that's the argument. Kobe Bryant was born in Germany. He's not a local guy. BS. That's BS. He went to school in, P, uh, in PA near Philadelphia. Yeah, Lower Marion High School. Guy. Yeah, Lower right. Marion. He's a local guy. Just because he was born in Germany doesn't mean he's not local. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. I, I always hear this. It's, it's funny because this conversation always gets brought up every single time that Matt Ryan is brought up in the city of Philadelphia. Oh, he's not a local guy. Some people say he is. Some people say he's not. I say he is, and he's, he's been playing very well. He's one of those guys that's been on fire lately, and I think that at the link it's going to be a tough matchup for the Eagles going against him. And going into this game, a lot, a lot of people continue to talk about Nick Foles and that Nick Foles is going to be the key to success. But I'm not even that worried as worried about Nick Foles as I, as I am about the defense. I know, I know. I threw a curveball at you, Frank. I know that. I know that. But the Eagles' defense, all this pressure should really be on them because if the Eagles want to get to the Super Bowl, they, they want to go to Minnesota and be at Super Bowl 52, it's going to come down to the Eagles' defense. and and. A lot of people continue to bring up a lot of these backup quarterbacks that won Super Bowls with, good, with great defenses, like Jeff Halster with the Giants from 90 to 91, or the Ravens, the 2000 Ravens with Trent Dilford, or the 85 Bears with Jim McMahon. But see, the thing about it is, though, Frank, this Eagles defense is not them. They are not an elite defense. They're just not. Look at those defenses. They're all great. They're not the, they're not the 90 Giants with – with Lawrence Taylor. They're not the Baltimore Ravens with Ray Lewis and company. They're not the steel curtain of the 90, 1976 Steelers or the 85 Bears with, uh, with uh, the 46 defense led by Buddy Ryan. They're not, even the 90, they're not even the 91 Eagles defense with Reggie White, which was an epic, epic defense, probably the best defense in Eagles history. The Eagles defense is none of those teams. 
So I don't understand why those names keep getting brought up as if we're the same, we're in that same tier. I don't necessarily believe that the Eagles defense is elite this year. Uh, At times they trend upwards towards elite, but I would say they're good. They're, they're good. Um, They're better than other defenses. Uh, You know, they do have what they're fourth in uh, rush defense. Uh, They got a a strong front seven Um, with Timmy Jernigan, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Vinnie Curry. uh, And then you're bringing in Derek Barnett, uh, Chris Long, Bo Allen. Um, Our linebacker core is not as good as it would be if we had Hicks starting. Uh, And our secondary is, it's weak. It's weak and it's suspect at times. And I really think our front seven made what our secondary is. Like, uh, made our secondary look good. Because get to the quarterback. We talked about this before in our last episode. They're getting to the quarterback. Uh, They're forcing the quarterback to throw the ball early. Can't go through his progressions. And and then he makes an ill-advised throw, and our secondary is picking him off. But our secondary suspect at times, our linebacker core's average. And but our front seven, I would say, is up there with the with the number of personnel who can get after the quarterback. I would say our front seven trends upwards to elite, uh, right? And, and it's better than most teams. And the Eagles' defense, they're going to have their hands full. They're going against who I think is the best receiver in the game. I know a lot of people throw Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham Jr. and AJ Green, but to me, Julio Jones is the best receiver. Six foot four, explosive feet. He's a nightmare matcher for the Eagles. Last last couple of games when the Eagles played against the Falcons, Julio Jones has put up over 200 yards receiving. And in 2016, Julio Jones put up 113 yards. Even though the Eagles won the game, he's, a, he's a, for whatever reason, they struggle against him. They struggle against him. And the reason why is because they don't have any elite cornerback who can go against him. And we all remember in 2015 when we had – uh, when we had Julio Jones, he virtually ended Byron Maxwell's career on opening night at Atlanta. It was at the Dome. But the point I'm making is that it's not even just Julio Jones. It's Muhammad Sanu. He's another receiver who looked very good against the Rams. He had over 80 yards receiving. And then they have an explosive weapon in the slot in Taylor Gabriel. And not only that, they're, I think that this Falcons team they really once Kyle Shanahan took over last year as offensive coordinator. They still they still have a similar philosophy as when he was there. They still use Freeman and Coleman together in the backfield. But this Falcons team, I feel like going into this game, when they're attacking the Eagles' defense, they're not going to try and score quickly. They're not going to have an up tempo offense. They're going to just try and conserve the time and really win the time possession battle because they have that ability to beat you through the air and on the ground. I'm I'm going to throw something out here that most people uh, will not agree with. I think you will, uh, but I don't think most of our listeners. Yes, right now we don't have an elite uh, defensive back. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins is no Brian Dawkins, but I do love Malcolm Jenkins. He's solid. Uh, Ronald Darby is not going to is not a number one guy. The only defensive back we have in our arsenal that I think can stop Julio Jones single handedly without double uh, without doubling him is Sidney Jones. I think Sidney Jones could shut down Julio. 
I don't know about shutdown, though, Frank. I think – see, the thing about Sidney Jones, as you saw against Dallas, he's still trying to get his feet wet. He's still, he's still trying to dip his, his toe in the, the NFL pool, the NFL secondary. He's not quite ready to be on an island by himself. I think he can. You know, um, you know I, still think, I, still, I still think that his, 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 his island's a little – has too much white water and white sand. It's not enough, there's not enough uh, jellyfish or, or sharks yet. <laughs> In his, in his secondary, I mean, on his island. You know, not quite Reva's island yet. I mean, I think, I think in time, in time, I think that Sidney Jones, he's a, he's a top prospect. I do think his island will have some, uh, have a little bit more seaweed, a little bit more jellyfish, a little bit more sharks. But right now, I, I don't see that there. Right now, I, 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 see, I see plenty of white sand, and, and I, see, I see a paradise, Frank. I, I, see, I see Sidney Jones and Rosal Douglas on the outside, and then you put Darby and Mills in the slot. Boom. I mean, I mean, how about how about Frank? How, how about we just leave this podcast right now? Let's let's go to Cancun. Yeah, screw it. <laughs> uh, let's go. Let's go. Let's go with Turks and Caicos. I'll I'll go AWOL. You know, I won't show up to work tomorrow. Yeah, that's that's what you do, Frank. Because yeah, for for those of our listeners out there, Frank Frank is in the Air Force, and, and and I think that's that's probably what we should do, Frank. I think we should you know pack our bags up and take a flight out to Kirk, Kirk, Turks and Caicos. How do you feel about that? Uh, I I feel great. Let's do it. Let's not also post this podcast that way uh, the government can't know. Right, right, right. Yeah, let's 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 go with Turks and Kegels right now. Let's let's get some uh some strawberry daiquiris. Ooh, oof, man, that's that sounds delicious. Hey, I'll have my own kind of like Cancun when I get out and I live in St. Petersburg, Florida, because I'm ten minutes from the beach. Oh yeah, yeah. So you see, so you're so lucky, Frank. That's your that's your that's your in Florida. You actually go to the beach, and you you know, I, I wish I had that luxury. Uh, where I could just, you know, step, you know, a 10-minute drive out to the beach. But, no, I'm still stuck in Philadelphia right now, which I have no complaints about. But I'm, I'm always down for the warm weather. Yeah, I mean, I'm still in Clovis, New Mexico, so there ain't really nothing great about this place, to be honest. Sorry to all you Clovis, New Mexico listeners. Yeah, yeah, we, we apologize, people. We apologize for that. But uh, I, do, I do want to talk a little bit more also about um, how, like, I think the Eagles, the Eagles defense and how big of a challenge it will be to go against Julio Jones because – uh, Jim Schwartz has talked about it. Uh, if if Julio Jones puts up 300 yards and Eagles still win, that's fine. They won the game, but obviously, if if he puts up let's say 10 yards and they lose the game, then it, it's not going to be so special. That they were able to contain Julio Jones, and I think that the Falcons' strength—it's not so much Matt Ryan to Julio Jones anymore. It's really the running game. As long as Freeman and Coleman are running the ball effectively. The Eagles' defense is going to be on the field for a very long time. Even though the weather is going to be nice out there, 52 degrees, it's going to feel like we're going to be on the beach. <laughs> but the, all the cold weather we've been getting in Philadelphia lately. So it's, it's just one of those things where when I look at the matchup and I look at this game and I look at the Eagles' defense, if the Eagles want to get deep into the playoffs, if they want to get to the Super Bowl, the Eagles' defense is going to have to play like the, the 2000 Ravens. The, the 1990 Giants, the, the 76 Steelers, the Steel Curran, the, the 85 Bears with their 46 defense, they're going to have to play at that level because Nick Foles, I, I tell you guys, I tell you guys, Nick Foles is not going to get it done. I think uh, our defense needs to play like they did uh, several times this year, you know, against Denver, getting after uh, Brock Osweiler, against Dallas, getting after Dak Prescott. Um, in Dallas, there are several games this year where our defense was just scary good. Um, they got to play like that. Uh, our 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 top 
five rush defense needs to come out and play. Uh, our front seven needs to get after Matt Ryan, bring pressure to him all day. So the secondary can kind of just hang out and drink uh, margaritas in the secondary. <laughs> I was always a mar- margarita guy. I was always a margarita guy. Yeah, on the island, you know, they could sit out there and be like, hey, Julio, you want to have a margarita with me while the front seven is eating up Matt Ryan uh, for dinner? So we, our front seven needs to play well. Because I think once our front, if our front seven's playing well, uh, everything else for our defense kind of falls into place. And uh, I don't know if you heard, Fletcher Cox was actually very unhappy in an interview after practice the other day, saying that they have not really, uh, no, no one's given them any credit all season, and and it's pissing him off. Just like it pissed off Chris Long, it pissed off Lane Johnson. So uh, we need that hunger that they're screaming at the reporters about. We need that hunger to come out. Uh, in Saturday's game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that what you mentioned is that that front seven, they're going to have to get a lot of pressure. That's going to be very key to this Eagles defense. Getting after Matt Ryan, you saw the last game against the Rams. The Rams were able to get after Matt Ryan uh, with uh, Aaron Donald. You know, I think Aaron Donald is slightly better than Fletcher Cox. He's a little bit more speed. He's very reminiscent to uh, John Randall, football Hall of Famer with the Vikings. So they're going to have to get at them. Timmy Jernigan and Fletcher Cox, are going to, they're going to be huge in this game, uh, controlling the line of scrimmage. Because the Eagles' defense, they are more physical than the, than the Falcons' defense. And I think that they're the, – I think that they're – I would say defensive linemen, I think they're more physical than, all, than Atlanta Falcons' offensive linemen. And I think they can get after Matt Ryan. That's been the strength all year round. And there's their rotation. The way they rotate Chris Long and Derek Barnett. And Vinny Curry and as a whole, the Eagles – defense they do get after the, the quarterback they do get, do a good job of doing that and that's what's got to happen in this game if they want to have any success and look somewhat like those defenses that i mentioned earlier in the show but we're going to take a pause for the calls and we're going to recap a little bit more of these uh, other games the wild card games jags and bills uh saints and panthers and we will talk a little bit more about the eagles and What's going to happen with the Eagles going into this game? Should Nate Sudfeld come in this game? Will Nate Sudfeld make an appearance? That'll be right up after these messages. If you have any questions or comments for Brent and Frank, then shoot an email to lookatthefilmpodcast at gmail.com. Best questions and comments will be included in future episodes. Welcome back to Look at the Film, the pod of rants, fun, and real. And Frank and I were just talking about how important this Eagles defense can be on Saturday against the Falcons at 4.35 p.m. But before we go more into the Eagles, I want to talk about some more of the Sunday games of this wild card. Bills, Jags, Jags won the game 10-3 in a grind-out type of game, a true defensive battle. And Tyrod Taylor. Only 135 yards pass, and Blake Bortles, my favorite Blake Bortles, the guy that Leonard Fournette thinks is a top-five quarterback, only had 87 yards passing. But once again, I said it was, it was a grind-out type of game. It was a game where uh, the Bills' first playoff burst since 1999, and O.J. Simpson made, made a name in the headlines once again. He was tailgating with the Bills fans, and he was wearing a LaShawn McCoy jersey. So how about that? O.J. Simpson, 
at a Bills game, tailgating with fans. Uh, I know he's a free man and all. Uh, he's still a convicted felon. I don't know if it's a great look. Um, and then obviously the long talked about debate on if he murdered his wife or not, uh, you know, that's up to discussion. I believe he did. So I don't think it's a good look, but that game was absolutely boring. I wanted to go to sleep. I would rather watch paint dry, uh, than, uh, ever watch that game again. I'd rather watch water boil than ever watch that game again. Nathan, uh, Peterman came in after Tyred Taylor, uh, was taken out of the game. Uh, uh, after a really bad, ugly hit, and he had already taken two other hits to the head. Uh, and Nathan Peterman throws a game clinching interception. Don't think it was interception, but I, he probably would have done it again because that's Nathan Peterman. Uh, and Blake Bortles, I am ready to crown him the next Hall of Fame quarterback after that 87 yard performance. He was outstanding. Uh, Blake yeah. Bortles was outstanding, Frank. No, no. And you know no. why he was outstanding? Because he got the W, and that's all that really matters. That is he, true, but he kept but Jacksonville does, in the game. He got them the win. <laughs> it I'm a Blake Bortles guy. I know Blake you are. Bortles was an American Athletic Conference. He he's a UCF guy. I support Blake Bortles. I, I think that Blake Bortles is not as bad as everybody makes some out the big. Keep in mind, Frank, Blake Bortles is still missing Allen Robinson, who went to your school that you love, Penn State. So. Got to cut Blake Bortles some slack, and he he is getting wins for Jacksonville. Oh, and I no, I, and I'll give you credit. Blake Bortles is not Johnny Manziel. Uh, Blake Bortles is not uh, Jamarcus Russell or Vince Young. You know, Blake Bortles is good, uh, better than them. But eighty-seven yard performance. I mean, I am ready to crown him a top top five, really top five. If he's a top five quarterback, then you might as well make me the president of the United States. <laughs> As long as Leonard Fournette says he's a top five quarterback, then Blake Bortles is a top five quarterback. I, I will give <laughs> I will give you that. If if he has the support of his team, then he has the support of his team, and that's a good thing. Uh, but you did make an argument at one point that Nick Foles was trash. Now, I agree with you, but Nick Foles was trash. But even though he got W's, he was still trash. Yeah, but see, I never said he was. I never said Nick Foles was trash. I just want to get that corrected. I never said he was trash. I just don't think that Nick Foles should be in the position right now to be the Eagles' starting quarterback. That's all I said. Like I said, Nick Foles had a very good year in 2013. 27 touchdowns, only two interceptions. He's a serviceable backup quarterback. I think more of a third-string backup quarterback, not quite a second-string quarterback. I, I would relegate him to the third string. But I'm not going to say he's trash because he is in the NFL. And he had, he had a good year. He had a good one-year wonder. I will give him that. And, and, and we're going to need Nick Foles, ultimately, at this point, it appears, to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, Blake Bortles or Nick Foles? Who do you start? I'm going with Blake Bortles, man. I'm all about Blake Bortles. I think, so I think Blake Bortles is a lot better than what people give him credit for. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say – I'm not going to go Leonard Fournette on you and say that, oh, Blake Bortles is a top-five quarterback. I'm not going to go that far. I mean, I mean, talk about hyperbole and exaggeration, Frank. Yeah, I mean, Blake. Top five? Did he say that? Top top five? Yeah, Blake Bortles is the next John Elway. Yeah, but yeah, Blake Blake Bortles is the next. He's the next Dan Marino. The next, next next Mark the, the next Mark Brunel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has the jersey, right? Yeah, 80, 87 yards passing. I mean, they can't. I mean, I know we're going to make predictions later on next show, but. Uh, you can't perform. You can't throw 87 yards and expect to go anywhere in the playoffs. And I just don't get Blake Bortles. 
Blake Bortles was so good at UCF. I, I watched him in my backyard at Temple destroy Temple's defense. And this is back when Temple's defense was actually pretty good. They've been good the last couple of years, especially when Blake Bortles was in his last year at UCF. But Blake Bortles in 2015, he didn't have the best quarterback rating, but he did put up numbers. He had 4,400 yards, 35 touchdowns, only eight interceptions, 18 interceptions. Blake Bortles has shown that he can win games by putting the ball through the air. He can do it. Even though Jacksonville is more of a running game, running team, and you saw that against the Bills, they really played smash mouth football. Leonard Fournette was a big part of that win for the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Bills. But Blake Bortles is not as bad as everybody says he is. I know you're not a fan of Blake Bortles, Frank. But Blake Bortles, I think he has it to get Jacksonville deep into the postseason. I um I think Blake Bortles is the next Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. <laughs> next next man Tom Brady. Yeah, I, yeah. I know, right? I know. Yeah, I guess. Like, I, I, hey, hey, Frank, have you been like doing DMs with uh, with Leonard Fournette about who who Blake Bortles will be the next of? Yeah, yeah. I Leonard Fournette and I talk on a regular basis about how Blake, Blake Bortles is. Uh, he's the all powerful uh, next goat. He's better than Tom Brady now. Uh, you know, eighty seven yards. That's that's talent. Uh, no, uh, Jacksonville is if if they're if they're going to go deep deeper into the playoffs, it's going to be on the strength of their defense. Yeah, that defense was just so so good. You know, Buffalo, they're they're a defense that is mediocre. Not a great. I mean, they're not a great offense. They're a mediocre offense. But just that Jacksonville defense is so much fun to watch. They have absolutely no weakness. They just have so much speed with their linebackers from Telvin Smith on the weak side to Miles Jack on the strong side. And then Paul plus Slesney from linebacker U, Penn State. I know, I know, Frank, you love when I, when I throw the Penn oh, State yeah. people in there. I know. <laughs> I, know I, I know. To my chagrin, but I, I got to give Penn State some credit. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Temple guy, so uh, there will always be uh, some sour grapes whenever, I, whenever Penn State is brought up in my – in my dialogue, but going forward about Jacksonville and their defense, they're speedy linebackers. They're the way how they get their quarterback with Calais Campbell and, and Jackson. They just are and Fowler. There's a very, very good defense. My favorite part of their defense is a secondary that the Jackson five, they're calling themselves Jackson five. That secondary is very reminiscent of the Legion of boom. They're like the next Legion of boom with Ramsey and Boye and Barry Church, they they truly lock down on on players. And you talk about islands; they have an island. Their island, their island. When you're on their island, you are swimming with sharks. There is jellyfish out there. There's a lot, there's a chock full of seaweed. You get caught in seaweed. They get after you. They they talk trash, and they back it up. Oh yeah, uh, Ramsey. Tell me he's not about to be like the next. Uh, like elite CB in the game. Yeah, well, I honestly, Frank, even though Carson Wentz has panned out, he's played very, he's played great so far in his career through two seasons. I really wanted the Eagles to get Jalen Ramsey when they traded up for that second pick at the time. I said Jalen Ramsey is the real deal. Coming out of Florida, he was in a Florida State. He was an elite cornerback. You can put him at cornerback. You could put him at safety. You could put him at the slot. You could put him on the outside. He was a complete defensive back coming out of Florida State. And that's the guy I wanted the Eagles to get. Just because we look at the Eagles, we've been trying to correct this cornerback position since 2010. That's eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, 
bro, Ramsey's just a stud. Uh, he he's the next elite CB, as I said. He, he's he's going to be better than Revis. Um, he's definitely better than Josh Norman. Uh, Josh Norman fell off once he went to Washington. Uh, I we need to fix our secondary, especially if we want to be uh, perennial contenders every yeah, year. Absolutely, and that's that's a that's a huge thing for me. And you and we talk about Jalen Ramsey that that game winning interception that he had. And I'll tell you, Frank, he caught the ball. He did nah. catch it. It was a catch. And, and, and before you get into the Jesse James catch, I, I hate to break it to you, Frank, and Steelers fans out there, Steelers Nation, and your terrible towels. Jesse James dropped the pass. It was not a catch, according to the rules. It, it was a catch. And, and, we'll, and we'll debate that. Here, uh, you know, we'll debate that. But No, but Frank, Rams- but Frank realistically, let's talk about it right now. Let's talk about it. Okay. The Let's Jesse, go. The Jesse James catch was not a catch it because was. as a receiver, NFL rules state that you need to have possession of the ball as you're coming down to be considered a catch. Remember what happened with Des Bryant in that divisional matchup against the Packers a couple years back? Des Bryant, everybody said, oh, he caught the ball. It was a touchdown. However, when he came down, the ball hit the grass, which automatically means that it was no longer a catch. However, if it was a running back who's running the ball and they went to extend the ball over the plane. And, and basically the ball happened to go over the plane and hit the ground. Cool. No problem. But as a receiver catching the ball, you have to maintain possession all the way up until your knee hits the ground and his knee hit the ground. And then he dropped the ball. He's no longer a catch. He still had possession of it. So obviously, you know, what constitutes a football move is always debatable as much as it pains me to say, as an Eagles fan, uh, Dez Bryant did catch that ball. I just I like to say Dez didn't catch it just to piss off Dallas fans. Um, but I, I honestly believe he caught that ball just like Jesse James did. But according uh, to the but, rules, though, Frank, according to the rules, though, I'm just telling you. I mean, we'll, we will, we, I'm telling you, it's probably going to happen at some point later on this season until they correct the rule. Because I'll tell you right now, Frank, I think they should change the rule. I'm with you in the sense that it should have been a catch. So he could have been, but it was not from the rule standpoint. Like the officiating and the rules, they're very specific rules. We look at the we look at the rule book, and there's certain things that they have to go by. It's kind of like when the infamous Tom Brady tuck rule, right? You know, everybody says, "Oh, Tom Brady in that snowstorm, he fumbled the ball. How is that not a fumble?" However, from a referee standpoint, it was not a fumble because of the tuck rule. And the tuck rule states that as long as a quarterback has the ball tucked in and the ball is going forward, it's a forward pass, which makes it an incomplete pass. Hence the term tuck rule. So the same thing when you're catching the football and you have to maintain possession all the way up until your knee hits the ground. The ball cannot hit the ground. That's just the NFL rules. Even though we might not agree with it, that's just what the rules state. So – Yes, the rule needs to be changed. However, I'm still a firm believer that was a catch. He, he catches the ball, right? Jesse James gets the ball. His knee comes down. His forearm, his elbow and forearm are about – they're like right there on the ground. The forearms, forearm's coming forward as the ball's crossing the, the plane, right? He broke the plane into the end zone. And then as – that's a touchdown. Knees down, elbows down, bottom of his forearm is down, balls across the plane, and then – it moves a little bit. I still think he maintained control enough. Um, 
that's the same argument, you know, a receiver catches the ball. He's got both – he's got firm possession of that ball on both sides. Uh, and then the ball touches the ground, but he still maintained possession. He didn't use the ground to aid in catching the ball. What I don't like is there's inconsistencies in the refs' calls that uh, this year. You look at a, a play that Tom Brady hit Brandon Cooks for a game-winning touchdown. Uh, someone I work with actually brought this up to me. Um, and Brandon Cooks did not complete the process of the catch as he's falling out of bounds. So if we're going to use that argument that even though Brandon Cooks had both feet in bounds, he had possession, and then as he's falling, he loses possession, you're still going to call that a touchdown, then you might as well call Jesse James's uh, catch a touchdown as well. Yeah, and the thing about it is look at answer me play. The bottom line is this, that either for one, they need to change the rule with the – with the receivers maintaining possession all the way through, even if they they clearly have established possession as they're moving forward or they're diving forward, they need to change the rule. They need to stop making a rule that you have to maintain possession all the way up until you are officially down as a receiver catching the ball. And the Brandon Cooks thing, I get that. There's, there's a lot of different calls we can look at. We can look at what happened with Kelvin Benjamin against the Patriots. Bills are fighting for a playoff spot, and uh, there's consensus out there that he caught the ball, even though the referee said he did not catch the ball. So the thing about it is if you're going to have instant replay, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to have instant replay, then get the calls right. Get the calls right. There shouldn't be any disputing, okay? Now, obviously, if, if if it's evident, if there's not enough disputable evidence to support that the call should go one way or the other, then keep it the way it is because some of these calls are tough. And even though I know that people throw out the Patriots get certain benefits out there as pertains to officiating, and maybe they do. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just making the point that that Kelvin Benjamin catch, even though it did look a catch, that was a tough call to make. It was a very close call when you look at the replay. Like it's like for a second, it looked like his foot came up and then it came down. So it, to me, that's like debatable. It really was that whole that whole play, but I understand where you stand, Frank. It's one of those things that they need to change it, and uh, hopefully, going into the Eagles game, we don't have any of those controversial calls because I I think that going into this Eagles game, it's going to be a close game. I think it just might come down to one or two calls that's going to be dependent upon on the officials getting the call right, and especially with the Eagles going into this game. And we mentioned earlier in the show that Jay Ajayi, he has to get the ball. The Eagles need to run the Jay train. Because in week five, when Jay Ajayi was still with the Dolphins, he had 26 carries for 130 yards against the Falcons in a 27, I mean a 20 to 17 victory at Atlanta. So if Jay Ajayi can get 130 yards, I'll be satisfied. And that's why. I say Jay Ajayi needs to continue to get the ball. And I think that Doug Pearson has been waiting to unleash the beast, unleash the Jay train. That's why he hasn't been getting as many carries throughout the uh, – ever since he's been here. Hey, uh, so you ready? You ready to join me? This is what we need this Saturday. You ready? Here we go. All aboard! Choo-choo <laughs> Jay train! We're departing for Winville! I love the voice, Frank. Thank you. We need to get Jay Ajayi. I agree with you 100%. We need to get that English baller rolling. We need to get that train of chugging away. Chug, 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 ch
And then when he's about to get stopped, you bring in Blunt and you just hammer him down. No, we really I, – I don't know what I'm saying <laughs> No, now, no, we do need to hammer it down. We need to we run need to hammer team. down. We need to uh, run through we, the team for that Falcons defense. It's time to play smash mouth football. Obviously, hey, Doug Peterson, uh, Andy Reid's West Coast offense didn't fare well against Tennessee. I know you play a little bit of different type of West Coast offense, but it is time to play smash mouth football. And I'm not even worried about J.H.I.A.'s knees. I know that was a concern when the Eagles initially traded for J.H.I.A. about his knees, how, is, how are his knees. I know that uh, Adam Gates, that was a part of the reason why we got him for such a low value. Fourth, we only had to exchange a fourth-round pick to get Jay, the Jay train. But Jay, so far, he's looked great to me in limited time and limited carries. And I think that any running back out there, they need to get reps. I know that we're in this new wave of running backs splitting time with a with a guy, we have one guy is more of a smash mouth type runner than the guy who's more of a scat back. A guy's more east and west, a little bit more elusive. I get that. That's a new way of the NFL. But in this situation, at the link, the crowd's going to be loud. It's going to be a type of game where the Eagles are going to need to maintain a time of possession. Jay Ajayi needs to get the football. And that's why when I look at the X factors, Frank, Jay Ajayi, I have two X factors, actually. My key X factors in this game, it's going to be J.J. as the obvious one, and then Nelson Aguilar. I think that Nelson Aguilar is going to have a huge game, and that's going to fit Nick Foles' comfort zone. Nick Foles is good in an intermediate game. He's good at throwing passes underneath to whether it's Zach Ertz or Trey Burton or Brent Selleck. He's comfortable with those guys. But if he really wants to extend the offense for the deep passes, Nelson Aguilar is going to have to be a big part of this offense. and. On the outside passes, he has not looked good to Torrey Smith. Foles has not looked good throwing to Torrey Smith or, or Alshon Jeffrey. So Aguilar, he needs to continue to throw passes, I think, to Nelson Aguilar because I don't think the Falcons' defense is going to be putting so much attention on Aguilar as they will with Jeffrey and uh, – well, probably Jeffrey. I don't think they'll have much of a game plan against Torrey Smith. Nothing against Torrey Smith, but Jeffrey, I think, is going to be the main game plan for the Falcons and Dan Quinn. Uh, my two X factors, I'm going to agree with you on Jay Ajayi. Um, the Jay Train? The Jay Train, all aboard. All <laughs> aboard. Um, uh, Jay, Jay Ajayi's X factor number one. I don't think Nelson Aguilar is going to be my X factor, but I do agree. I think if you get Nelson Aguilar involved and, and he starts, you know, having a lot of uh, – catches and, and then the defense has to focus on him that opens up things for Torrey Smith and Alshon Jeffrey. But my X factor outside of J train, uh, J train is going to be Zach Ertz. Uh, we see with new England, we saw with Kansas city this year, the tight end, the tight end position is important. Um, and that's kind of been Zach Ertz was in a sense, uh, Carson Wentz's security blanket he needs to be Nick Foles' security blanket. So you run, 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 smash mouth football with Jay Ajayi, and then uh, those intermediate passing games, you use Zach Ertz as your security blanket, and I think we'll do fine. Move the ball well. Yeah, and Nick Foles, he clearly, he, he loves doing the Zach Ertz. I think, I, think, I think Nick Foles, he just, for whatever reason, he, he's just too predictable, though, at times. He's, he's always throwing the ball at Zach Ertz, and – as you know, he has that that uh, that rapport with Zach Ertz and that chemistry with Zach Ertz. I think that, as you mentioned, he Zach Ertz will be the X factor 
for the Eagles to get going on offense. Aside from the run game, once if Nick Foles can develop a rhythm with Zach Ertz, I think that Keanu Neal uh, and Deion Jones and the Falcons' um, defense will be zoning in more so on Zach Ertz and trying to take away the intermediate game, which will really open up the pass game. Because with the West Coast offense, the West Coast offense really is about a lot of short passes to the tight ends, to the slot receiver, earlier in, early in games to really open up the deep passes. Because once if you can get the Atlanta Falcons defense to, to play up close and load up that box and try and contain Jay on the ground, it's really going to open up the play action and those RPOs that the Eagles have been running this year. The Eagles run the RPOs more than any team in the NFL. So, and you saw it hasn't been working with Nick Foles so far, but if they can get Zach Ertz and Jay running the ball effectively, I really think it can work out for the Eagles. I, I, I still think it's going to be challenging for the Eagles because they are the underdog. But Jay Ajayi and Zach Ertz, they have, they, have to be, they have to have their fingerprints on this game. They have to have the best games of their career. Yeah, they really, they really are, Frank. They really are. We're not exaggerating here, ladies and gentlemen. We're not exaggerating. They need to have the best games of their life. Jay Ajayi, he needs to run the ball. He needs to, run, he needs to have 200 rushing yards to win this game. I said it. Jay Ajayi is at 200 rushing yards to win this game. Because this is for all the marbles. If the Eagles are one and done this year, you know how rabid of a fan base we are. I don't even want to know how the Philly fans are going to react in the link. Yeah, I really, I really don't. And, and I think the fact that it's going to be warm out there, it's going to be very warm for, for us Philadelphians. Nick Foles is going to – I think he'll be able to pass a lot better because when it's bitter cold out there, Nick Foles, he, he's, not, he's not even throwing ducks. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to call it. He, he, he's, he's, throwing, he's, not, he's not even throwing the ball. He can't even get rid of the ball. He's not, he's not, he doesn't even have the ability to make an accurate pass. He doesn't put any zip or zing on his passes when it's cold. I mean, and, and in this game, for Nick Foles to play well, the weather needs to be warm. As I'm hoping the temperature does not change. I really hope it still stays 52 degrees because when it was bitter cold against Dallas, against Oakland Raiders at night on Christmas Day, it just didn't look good for Nick Foles. And you can see that he did not feel comfortable with gripping the football and putting zip on his passes. And as much as the Eagles want to have, they wanted to have that, that advantage of playing the cold weather, it would not bode well for Nick Foles in, in the quarter. I mean, it just wouldn't bode well for him at all. I just wouldn't – I wouldn't – with the way he played against Dallas and Oakland, even though it was short for Dallas, uh, in that type of weather, I wouldn't even trust him in helping me win a snowball fight. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't even trust Nick Foles putting snowballs at Santa Claus in 1968. No, he would have missed. Yeah, no, he, he would have missed them. And, and then, we would, then we would have been booing Nick Foles for missing old Santa Claus at, 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 the, at Franklin Field. Or he would have overthrown Santa Claus and someone would have picked it off. Yeah, or, 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 or he wouldn't even throw at Santa Claus. He would just sit there. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. He would have let it melt in his hand and that's it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they would be booing him. Hey, throw it, throw it at him. It's kind of, it's kind of like uh, when, when, when like at a, at a baseball game, let's say when uh, someone hits a home run, the road team hits a home run, and then they don't throw it back into the field. That's kind of what it would be like. Yeah, we'd all boom. Yeah, like, they, like, like us Philadelphians do. Then they'd pelt him with snowballs. 
Yeah, exactly. Santa Claus will be getting pelted with snowballs. Nick Foles will be getting pelted yeah. with snowballs. Santa Claus, Santa Claus would join in. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Santa Claus would join in, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but we're gonna take a little. We're gonna take another break. We're gonna take another pause for the calls. And coming up, we're gonna wrap things up. We're gonna talk uh, the other the other Sunday game where it was the Saints and Panthers. There's a lot of um, a lot of a lot of controversy in that game as well with the concussion protocol, uh, the Cam Newton father right concussion protocol, and potentially the Eagles do win this game. They might either play against the, the Saints or the Vikings, but we'll have that coming up right after these messages. If you want more social media content from Brent Ufer, Contrarian Bomb, and Frank Graybar's The Third, then follow Brent on Instagram and on the Twitter at Brent C. Bomb. Bomb is B A U M. And Frank on the Twitter at Frankie Philly 89. Welcome back to Look at the Film. We listen to the pod of rants, fun, and real. And we were just going over the Eagles and the X-Factors on offense going into this game. We will talk about our X-Factors on defense, what the Eagles defense need to do, the farewell against the Atlanta Falcons offense. But before we get into that, I do want to cover the last game that happened on Sunday. I think the game that everybody was looking forward to the most for opening week of the NFL playoffs, NFL wild card playoffs, was the Saints against the Panthers. The Saints completed the sweep of the Panthers, 31-26. It was a very back-and-forth game, a game of tempo, a game of runs. It was a very fun game to watch. And the thing is, the Saints beat them three times, three straight times. And I don't understand this, Frank. I really don't understand why people say that it's hard to beat a team three straight times. It's not hard to beat a team three straight times if you were able to beat them two times in a row previously. It's kind of like saying that it's hard for a, a, a team in the NBA to sweep a team because they beat them three times, so it's going to be harder for them to beat them four times. Does that make any sense to you, Frank? No, I mean, if you have got if you know what works to stop a team, uh, you've got the game tape on them or you look at the film uh, – Oh, nice plug there, Frank. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, when, you, when you have that game tape on them, and, and look, they're division rivals. They play all the time. You know, Sean Payton knows how to beat Carolina. Um, Ron Rivera knows how to beat the Saints. He just couldn't get it done this year. And so I don't think it's difficult necessarily. I mean, you look at it when in NBA, NBA series, NHL, uh, baseball, they all have game series, you know, whether that be – five games or seven games or six games, you know. Um, it's not difficult. Teams do it all the time in the postseason. So to, to use it, for someone to use that argument, oh, you know, it's tough to be – no, it's not. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, it's only tough if you're down 0-3 to win four straight. That's yeah. tough. I mean, you saw with the Red Sox. They're the first team in, in Major League Baseball history to come back after being down 3-0 to win. Uh, it's happened, it happened several times in hockey. Hasn't Fly, happened Right, exactly. It happened with the Flyers um, in the 2000s. So it's happened more frequently in, in hockey and baseball. It hasn't happened in the NBA yet. So in that case, yes, it's hard. But to say that it's hard when you're the team who has won two straight games going into that game, not that hard. You just you know what the team is. You know what works well against them. And that's exactly what the Saints did against the Panthers. 
Drew Brees went back to Drew Brees of 2009. You know, he had 376 yards, completed 69% of his passes, two touchdowns, only the one interception. And from the beginning of that game, late in the first quarter, when Drew Brees threw that bomb to Ted Genn Jr. for 80 yards, I could just feel that Sean Payton was going to go through the air to win this game. Yeah, and uh, I actually – I read something on uh, social media. It was Facebook, exactly. Uh, they were talking after the New Orleans Saints game, uh, the Panther Saints game. A bunch of fans were saying that the Saints got exposed. And I'm going to say I don't agree with that. Uh, solely, main, solely on the fact of it's they're two NFC South teams. Carolina knows the Saints, and the Saints know Carolina, as we stated. So – I don't think it's unusual that Carolina came back. I don't think LA could have come back from that. I even I'll even go as far as to say I don't think if Philly got into that that big of a hole, I don't even think they could come back. Yeah, I I don't I don't buy that for a second. I think there was just two NFC South teams that know each other very well. It was a game of runs that you more frequently hear that in a game of basketball. Basketball's a game of runs, but you could see in the first half for the most part the, the Saints dominated that game, even in the third quarter, for the most part, they dominated the game. And then, and then the Panthers, but the Panthers just stayed in the game. Cam Newton was on a steady pace. Cam Newton, uh, he felt pressed from that Saints defense all game long, but he still managed to have 349 yards passing, two touchdowns, and he kept the Panthers in the game. And Cameron Jordan said the said it best. Cam Newton, he's blessed. What Cam Newton was able to do in that game and even the controversy behind the fact that Cam Newton really had a concussion, yet they still threw him back in there. Because when he had that, when he got, when he took that huge hit, he was only out for one play. You could see through his eyes that something wasn't quite, you know, working up there. Yet they threw him back in there. And now what's been released lately is that they're saying that the, that the Panthers violated the, the the concussion protocol, and it's kind of reminiscent to the Seahawks when Russell Wilson came right back into the game. He went through the tent. He didn't go through the tent. He just he came. He said, "I'm fine." Went back right on back on the field. And obviously, uh, you have to go through the tent. You have to go through the protocol before you come back in the game. And the Seahawks got fined a hundred thousand dollars for that. I think it's a moot point to be honest with you, because Carolina didn't win. There was right. there was no there was no cheating or, or or any kind of gain that they got from it. Uh, other than, you know, keeping it close and giving New Orleans fans uh, heart attacks. Uh, but other than that, they, they didn't gain anything from it. So, hey, fans, stop whining. Yeah, but you do want to have safety for the players. I mean, you saw what happened with Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey got a concussion. It was his second concussion of the year. He had a concussion in October. And a lot of times with these players, when they can only get so many concussions, Frank, uh, like, I think the, the limit they're really supposed to get is three. And once they get three concussions, after the third concussion, they can't really play anymore. It's not just four. But a lot of concussions are ending careers, and it's a very serious issue. And I do think that teams need to be more cognizant of that, and they, do, they should go through the protocol because it, is going to raise, it has raised more awareness, especially what happened with Junior Seau, the late, great Junior Seau, and all the um, issues that he, that NFL took after that incident. So I think I look at that, though. Um, I saw that movie with uh, Will Smith. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. I just, 
I, I agree. You know, I mean, obviously we need safety. Uh, it's something like the military does. It's called a TBI, tra- uh, traumatic brain injury. Uh, there are service members that get blown up in IED attacks on convoys and they suffer from TBI. And it's a big thing for the military that they're focusing on making sure you got to take this little, it's called a, uh, ANAM, but it's a, uh, it's a test before you deploy a cognitive test. And then you come back from whatever deployment you are and uh, if you could potentially have had TBI, they make you take the test again to s- determine if they have it. So I understand the safety aspect of the game when it comes to concussions. Uh, I just don't think whining about him not going through concussion protocol, you know, and then coming back into the game. And it, it almost like they whined because it was cheating, not because they cared about the safety of Cam Newton. Yeah, yeah. No, I can see that angle. I can definitely see that angle. And uh, it's just uh, NFL does take so much heat from that, and and there was there was some other controversy in that game uh, within the referees, and did they go through the right to due diligence? And for most of that game, I think one of the controversies that got brought up is is when the Panthers were driving the last drive of the game, where the referees said that Kim Newton was still in the pocket, and there was not a receiver in the vicinity. And they ruled him for intentional grounding. And I'm here to tell you guys, it wasn't intentional grounding. Cam Newton, he was outside the pocket. He wasn't fully outside the pocket, but he was outside the pocket enough to the point where it was not intentional grounding. Even Greg Olson, it was reported that Greg Olson said other officials tried to argue with the head official that Cam Newton was out of the pocket and not grounding, but head ref stuck with the call. How about that, Frank? And How that, about that? And that, and that's that sucks. I mean, it it really does. You know, when you get that one guy who kind of trumps you. Um, but yeah, I agree. It was not an intentional grounding. Uh, it was another poor call um, that could have potentially changed the whole pace of the game. You know, had that had that call not happened, who knows? Carolina drives the field, scores the game winning touchdown. It's again uh, officials. Where this is different than the Titans game, Titans-Chief game, um, this could have impacted the end result. Uh, and this is where I have the, that problem with uh, refs controlling that. That's also like last year's call with, uh, with Kelsey in the Chiefs game to end that game, that, that controversial call. So I hate when the refs determine the outcome of the game uh, because they either don't understand the rules, they choose not to understand the rules, or if they let their human emotion get involved and favor one team over another. Yeah, and, and the thing about it is I, I really think that in that game, the officials, and when it comes to playoffs, right, the, the, the officials have always said they don't want to take over the game. They, don't, they, don't, they want the game to be determined based off how the, how the players are playing, what team is actually playing better. They don't want these ticky-tack calls come playoff time, and the officials really try to avoid that. And in this game, you, you look at it, that was a ticky-tack type call. You should not have an intentional ground unless it's blatant determined the game. Because I was, that was probably that was the best game by far on Sunday. Uh, just a lot of offense, a lot of explosion. And the fact that it looked like the Saints were just going to win the game, they're going to walk, they're going to win the game easily after they're up 24-12 going into the fourth quarter. But how Cam even brought them back and – Cam Newton, he, he really is blessed. I mean, I think that Cameron Jordan even had this idea that Cam Newton had concussion. The fact that he was still able to bring them back after getting hit 
and almost win the game. And he was, you know, it's all alleged that he allegedly was able to play even with a concussion and bring them back into the game to win the game. So I, I really enjoy his game. And Chris McCaffrey, Chris McCaffrey, I didn't, I didn't realize he was that good. I knew he was very good in college at Stanford, but I didn't think he would make this transition to the NFL so quickly. And that 56-yard touchdown uh, run that he had, I mean, that catch he had in the fourth quarter, talk about speed and explosion. He's got it, man. He's got that pedigree. It, he's, it's in his genes. I know uh, Ed McCaffrey was a very good receiver with the, with the Denver Broncos back in his time. And Chris McCaffrey has another brother who I believe is an NFL. Either he's on a practice squad with the Packers. But Chris McCaffrey, I'm really impressed with him. That run he had in the fourth quarter, that was fun to watch. Yeah, I, I actually used to dislike Cam Newton. Uh, I always thought he was overrated as I do most dual threat quarterbacks. Um, but no, I mean, f- when you said that that's the, that was the best game on Sunday, I mean, they're competing with the bills and the Jags. I mean, that was the best game by far. I mean, I would, like we said before, you know, you'd rather watch paint dry than watch the bills um, and Jags game again, but no Christian McCaffrey, he's coming on Cam Newton though. He, he's a stud and I've come around to, uh, to liking him. He single-handedly carries that team, and uh, it would have been it would have been cool to see them win it. I would I would have liked a rematch of Philly Carolina in the NFC Championship. Yeah, no, I, I would have I would have liked to see it. Honestly, um, I I'm always rooting for Cam. I think that Cam gets a lot of criticism. Uh, they told they always question his immaturity. Obviously, he had that issue where he was where he was making a joke and being sarcastic about that female reporter asking him about routes. So I get it. At times, Cam does have a chore to do. But to me, Cam Newton just gets better each year. He really plays better as the competition gets better. Even this year, when he played against the Patriots, he had one of his best games. They won the game. And he lives up to it. I mean, he truly does live by that Superman moniker, that, that nom de guerre, a Superman. And I really hope that Cam gets one ring at least one of those years. He needs to get that one ring and show people that, that he can be the guy. I, I think without a doubt he's a franchise quarterback. I do think that they do need to get a little bit more receivers. I think they truly miss Kelvin Benjamin, even though Funches had a pretty good game with four catches, 79 yards. And Greg Olson, one of the top tight ends this year as well. He missed about six, eight games this year, but Greg Olson played very well. They just need to get another star receiver to complement Funches as a complimentary receiver. And I think the Panthers will be pretty good. I think they'll be on their way. And but but I do want to ask you this, Frank. Though, how how do, how do you like uh, Alvin Kamara's grill? I think it's it's dumb. <laughs> what, what what about Jordan Cameron's grill? How do you like his grill? Dumb. <laughs> I think I think it really goes well with their uniforms. Yeah, the gold and the gold. Yeah, you sure. Know, you know, I think it's nice. It's nice. Nice little fashion statement. Yeah. Are we? Uh, what's that? Uh. Who's that white rapper back in the day? Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Wall. Paul Wall. Disco Paul Wall. Wall. Yeah, we're we're trying to bring back the early two thousands with the grill again. Like, no, I know, right? It's twenty eighteen, guys. Let's <laughs> let's get with the times. Oh man, no, it was it was great. I mean, I think that's crazy. Speaking of Kimura, Kimura and and Ingram, they were only held to forty five yards on nineteen carries. I mean, these are two guys that combined for over three thousand yards from scrimmage during the regular season. So maybe that might be why some some people might feel that maybe the Saints got a little bit exposed, even though I don't I'm not part of that crowd. I think that 
it was working for Breeze through the air and Sean Payton stuck with the game plan? Yeah, when you've got Drew Breeze, who's a future Hall of Famer, maybe even arguably a first ballot Hall of Famer, when you have that man behind center, your team could struggle all they want. He's going to keep you in games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and I, I've always been a big Drew Brees fan. I I think that Drew Brees has always been underdog, and it's just really cool to see how Drew Brees plays quarterback. He's six foot. You can't really see over the offensive line, and when he just rolls out, and this he's like he's always like looking over the offensive line to, to see over. Like he he literally like takes like ten feet. He like steps ten feet back just so he can see over the offensive line, man. And he just throws these these darts and these lasers. It's incredible how much arm strength he has at his height. I know. Like when he runs back, you know, the offensive linemen are protecting him and he's like, no, I can't see. No. <laughs> uh, and so he's got to run back a little further than he, but now he's, he's such a talented quarterback. And uh, yeah, if, if I can't see Philly make it to the Super Bowl this year, I'd like to see Drew get one more ring before he retires. Yeah. He's, he's 38 years young. 38 years young, and he's still playing at this high of a level. Now, of course, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because Drew Brees is on my fantasy team that won this year. <laughs> I always got to throw that in there. But Drew Brees, 38 years young. I, he, he's, as long as you have him on your team, even the defense is not playing that great. Although the, the Saints defense throughout the entire game kept consistent pressure on Cam Newton, and they contained the run. But because they put up 25 points, Drew Brees is still able to put up enough points to win them that game. You know, and that's and that's why when you look at the Eagles, obviously we're focusing on the Falcons game, but those are two. Those are there's four teams that are still there's still two teams that are left, and the Vikings and the Saints that are two very difficult point, opponents that you would go against. And I, I know we talked about this before that we both of us would probably say that we much rather go against the Vikings rather than the Saints. We rather test our our defense against a, a Case Keenum, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, Case Keenum is not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but 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 we do want to focus. We do want to focus on the Falcons and, and Eagles game, and we want to wrap some things up with the Falcons and Eagles. And uh, that the question that keeps that, that we brought up earlier is about the defense. And we talked about our X factors on offense, but who are our X factors on defense? Who are who's uh, your X factor, Frank, on defense? Who do you think really needs to step up in this game for the Eagles to be successful? I think for the Eagles to be successful and win this game and get and uh, and kind of disrupt Atlanta's high-powered offense, I have three X factors. So I'm going to go obviously your front seven, your linebacker core, and your secondary. So my three X factors it's going to be Brandon Graham in the uh, in the linebacker core, Nigel Bradham, and then in the secondary, I really need Malcolm Jenkins to be that general and kind of uh, help. One he's in the safety, he's got he's got to help out over the top with his CBs against Sanu and Julio Jones, two stud wide receivers, and I need him to kind of like be that general, that captain out there on the field. Said, hey, you know, Jalen Mills, this is your first playoff game in your career. I need you to do this, Ronald Darby. This is your first playoff game in your career. I need you to do this. I think Malcolm Jenkins, Malcolm Jenkins has been there. He's one of uh, he has a Super Bowl ring with the New Orleans Saints. And he's been here. He knows how to do it. He's a veteran, and I need him to be that veteran on the field. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. The Eagles secondary, Malcolm Jenkins. He's been the the fact the facto Brian Dawkins of this team. 
You know, I know he's not quite Brian Dawkins, but he has been that guy, that captain, that leader. He made another Pro Bowl this year with the Eagles. He needs to be key in being that mouthpiece, that vocal leader on this Eagles defense. But for me, it's going to come down to Chris Long and those Mountain Dews. Make, make sure Chris Long <laughs> listen to this podcast. You know, look at the film with, your, with yours truly and Frank Graybar's the third. Make sure you have a, about a 16-pack of Mountain Dews before this game. Because I think that if they want to win this game, Chris Long is, is going to have to be on his game. He's going to have to get consistent pressure on Matt Ryan. That second line, that second line of Derek Barnett and Chris Long, that rotation Eagles have done so well this year, get after Matt Ryan. Because if the defense can get after Matt Ryan, they can contain Julio Jones. They can contain the, the pass-heavy offense that the that Falcons can be at times, even though the Falcons have converted more to a running offense. It's got to be Chris Long and Ronald Darby. Because I think that Steve Sarkeesian is going to really attack Ronald Darby. You notice the last couple of games, a lot of offensive coordinators have been attacking Darby's side on the left side, not so much Jalen Mills' side. So if Darby can contain Julio Jones and be aggressive and get safety help, they can do a good job against Julio Jones because you know, you know that Ronald Darby, he's going to be aggressive at the point. He's going to go after Julio Jones. And it's got to be a team effort to contain Julio Jones and force Muhammad Sanu to make an impact play, force Taylor Gabriel to make an impact play. And if Darby can be aggressive and maybe get a pick or two, the Eagles just might have a chance. They just might have a chance. But uh, I want to ask you, though, Frank, what, what's your prediction going into this game? Who do you have, who do you have winning? What's your, what's your final score? Uh, I have the Eagles winning it, of course, as a Philly homer. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say – I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, the score is going to be 2017. It's going to come down to a last-second field goal by Jake Elliott to win it. And it's going to be 62 yards? No. It's going to be <laughs> – I'll say 53 yards. Okay. It's going to be a lot of drama. Well, I, I, hate to, I hate to tell you guys this. And, and yeah, I know I'm being cynical, but I actually have the Falcons winning this game. By double digits, I had the Falcons win this game 27 to, let's say, 27 to 13. Oof. I, I just think that Nick Foles is not going to be able to create much on the offensive end. I think that the team is going to load up the box with Keanu Neal and force the Eagles to pass the ball, force Nick Foles to beat them through the air. And the defense, can't, the defense can only do but so much. And I think that eventually the defense will get tired. And as they get later into the game, the Falcons are going to be running the ball through the Eagles' defense and wearing them out. And it's going to be a tough matchup, Frank. I just, I, I, I just don't like the odds of the fact that the Eagles are the first team, the first one-seeded team in the NFL playoffs to beat underdog in the divisional matchup. I mean, they're a two-and-a-half-point you know, underdog. Yeah, I, I, I still have faith, P-H-A-I-T-H. Maybe not necessarily with Nick Foles, but I have faith in the team. Okay. Yeah, no, like I said, 20, I got 27, 13, and you got uh, 20, 17. I I really do hope it does come down to that drama. I always like the drama. I like, I want this to be a close game. I don't want the Eagles to get embarrassed because they get embarrassed. Then a lot of the pundits are going to be right about the fact that, you know, the Eagles should have been underdog. Yeah. And I, I don't want them to be right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't want them to be right either, but, uh, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to take another pause for the calls. And uh, coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about that national championship game. Roll, tie, roll. Alabama, 26-23 in overtime. 
We'll talk about that. And then we're going to have some final thoughts, some final last thoughts that Frank and I are going to be discussing on Look at the Film. And we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Look at the Film, the pod of Rants Fun Real. Right back in a few seconds. Welcome back to Look at the Film, the pod of Rants Fun and Real. And Frank and I, we have some final thoughts, but we do have a final segment as well. We want to talk about what we promised Alabama and Georgia, a national championship game, an epic, epic roll tie roll victory for Alabama, 26-23 in overtime. And the way how Tua Tugavanolia stepped into the game after Frank's favorite, Jalen Hurts, was struggling all first half, only had 23 yards passing. And then Tugavanolia was just able to dominate the game. He showed some serious poise, Frank. Even when Alabama was down 13-0, right? And it was third and seven. And Tugavanolia somehow, some way, he broke all those tackles. He ran right. Then he ran to the left. And then he was able to convert on third down, which often led to a touchdown, a strike to Henry Ruggs, another true freshman, to make the score 13-7. How about how about Alabama? How about Tua Togavanolia? How about that, Frank? I know you were disappointed, but you gotta you gotta admit, Alabama came back. Uh, not gonna admit anything because I hate Alabama. They shouldn't have been in the college football playoffs. They should have never been in the national championship. Togavanolia, whatever his name is, I can't <laughs> I can't I can't pronounce it, so I'm not even gonna pretend to. I'm just gonna call him Tua Tua Tag. Uh. Tua, did he perform well? Sure. I'll give him credit. Hey, great job, Tua. You came in. Oh, yeah. That's a start on the bell, Frank. Come on. Roll that bell. Give that bell a little bit more of a ring. We'll, we'll give it a little bit more ring. Uh, Jalen Hurts is garbage, so congrats, <laughs> Tua. You didn't do much. I mean, okay, you helped your team win a national championship. I'll give you that. But let's be real here. The only reason Alabama won that game was because of their defense. Fromm looked like garbage later in the game <laughs> georgia couldn't do anything this was a uh, everybody's gonna say this was a great national championship no this wasn't frank is so, so bitter horrible. you're so bitter frank why so bitter why 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 the sour grapes frank i like because this sec sucks and i don't care if both of them were in the national championship they still suck Okay, the SEC is still the worst conference. I don't care. I don't care if they're in the college football playoffs. Don't care. You know, said people are going to argue. Well, they were in the college football playoffs, so clearly they're better. No, they're not because <laughs> the, the college football playoff system is flawed. When you have a group of thirteen people deciding who gets in, yeah, That's but not how sports? But but Frank, but Frank, relax a little bit. I think I think I might have to put you through a little intervention. Uh, do, do you need a couch, Frank? I'm sitting in a. Semi comfy chair right now. I'm I mean, glad. I mean, I, do you need a glass of water? No, I need a beer. Because <laughs> <laughs> Frank, you got you to realize the way how Tugavanolia, he was just clutch at their play, at the play. That fourth and four, when it was twenty to thirteen in the red zone, that pass that he threw to Calvin Ridley. The Calvin Ridley, excuse me, on four from four. The way he's able to step into that pocket and put the put some zip, put some sauce, put some hot sauce, put some sauce on that pass, man. That was just wow. I really thought the game was over for a second, and and I and I'll admit I was very presumptuous. I went on the social media and said that Nick Saban is gonna he's getting ready to win his sixth national championship. 
He's won. He's won in 2003. He, he's won in 2009. Then he's won 2011. Then 2015. And I said, this is Nick Saban's year. And then, and then I said, now 2018. And I was like, he better not. Alabama better not lose this. Or else I'm going to look so silly making that. But see, the reason why he won, Frank, is because I spoke it into existence. I said it was going to happen before it happened. So that's the reason they won. That, that's, that's the reason why they, they, they won, Frank. I know I'm going a little LeVar Ball on you. I spoke it into existence. That's why they won. But it was just it was just a fun game. I mean, Georgia, yeah, they dominated the game for the most part. Uh, the way uh, Sonny Mushel, the way uh, he was uh, able to run the ball through the Clemson. I mean, not Clemson. I don't know. Why am I talking about Clemson? Why, 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 why bring up Clemson? Alabama raided the throne Clemson. <laughs> uh, to your chagrin, Frank. Uh, Clemson, Alabama was the best college football. <laughs> but I was going to say that. Years, but... <laughs> right. But I was going to. Oh, yeah. That's because Alabama lost. I know last year. But, <laughs> but I was going to say that the way how they were. They, the way how Georgia was able to control the game for the first half and, and a lot of the third quarter. They were running the ball. That's how they won games this year, running the ball. And Jake Fromm, I know you're saying that Jake Fromm was garbage, but Jake Fromm, for a true freshman, he's got a strong arm. He might be an NFL prospect. He just might be. Uh, that, I think that what he did as a true freshman and lead Georgia to the national championship game, it was pretty impressive. I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to write him up. And I thought also it was pretty cool how you had the Ridley brothers, Riley Ridley and Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley is a guy that a lot of NFL pundits think that will be a top NFL receiver coming out of the draft and next year a prospect, a top prospect. And then and then Ridley Riley. How about that? Oh, actually, I'm even getting confused, Frank. Riley Ridley. How about that? Riley Ridley. That's like naming your son Chris Christopher or Christopher <laughs> Christopher. How about that, Frank? What, what if you ever have a kid and you decide to, to name him Garbage, 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 <laughs> or, or, or Graybars, Graybars? Yeah, uh, Frank Franklin. <laughs> yeah, Frank, Frank Franklin. Franklin you know, how about that? Uh, that's dumb. Yeah. Uh, I think that just sets your kid up for, like, years of, you know, bullying in school. But you said Fromm could be an NFL caliber quarterback one day. Uh, is Hertz or Tua tag uh, a future NFL prospect? I, I think that I think the tag. So that's what we're calling Tua tag. <laughs> I think he just might be. Yeah, uh, a lot of the Alabama quarterbacks over the years they have not been NFL players for whatever reason. Nick Saban does not, even though he has all the resources to recruit the best quarterback, but he tends to run a, a run-heavy type offense. That's just Nick Saban's uh, game plan for the most part. He likes to wear out defenses and maintain time possession and, and give his defense a lot of rest. Even over the years when he had Julio Jones and he had uh, Amari Cooper, who was throwing Amari Cooper the ball? Who was throwing Julio Jones the ball? I mean, yeah, sure. Uh, we don't even remember who they are, <laughs> you know? Uh, outside of Stabler, Namath, and Starr, uh, three Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Alabama's quarterbacks have amounted to nothing. I think the only one still in the NFL right now is AJ McCarron, and he's back up to Andy Dalton in Cincinnati. Like, congrats, bro! Like, you're a backup to Andy Dalton. How does that make you <laughs> yeah, feel? Yeah, yeah. Well, he he feels he feels fantastic, Frank. And you know why? Because he's 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 married to Catherine Webb, Miss yeah, Alabama. I, I think I'll be very fantastic <laughs> uh, if, if I was married to her, Frank. 
So you think Tag is going to be an NFL quarterback? I mean, she is attractive, but do you think Tag is going to be oh, an yeah. NFL quarterback? Uh, well, I think he could be. I I, I liked what I saw out there. Uh, he showed a lot of poise. He has great mobility. He shows some pocket presence. He actually went through his progression, his progressions, and something about him just tells me that I see I see a little Russell Wilson in him. Oh, no. a Russell Wilson. No, but but a uh, taller but a taller version of Russell Wilson. He's not quite Mariota. I know people say oh Mariota because they had the Hawaiian connection, and I think that was pretty cool how Tagovailoa was able to win a national championship, and then Mariota was able to get his first playoff win against the Chiefs. I think that's a pretty cool connection. But at the same time, he's not quite Mariota because Mario is about six foot five. And Tag of Anolia was a two tag, we're calling him. Two a tag. Two a tag. Yes, two a tag. <laughs> he's about, what, six foot one. I just liked what I saw, Frank. And he, he was an elite 11 quarterback, which means that he is one of the top high school quarterbacks coming out. So he wasn't just this virtual nobody. He, he prepared for this moment. And you know what? Congratulations to him on that honor. I hear it's a good honor. Uh, but I did a little research last night about the winners of the Elite 11 since it was created. And I, probably about 98% of the names I saw are nobodies. I, they don't do anything anymore. Um, they uh, amounted to nothing in the NFL. The only quarterbacks that are still successful in the NFL right now that won Elite 11 was Andrew Luck, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater, Jared Goff, Deshaun Watson, and Matthew Stafford. Those are the only players. That's a small number for the amount of people who won the Elite 11. But, friends, know, know all those quarterbacks are? They're elite. <laughs> they are, but this two a tag won't be. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a terrible dad joke. I know, I know. <laughs> but they're, they're all elite quarterbacks. So how, how, can you, how can you bury the Elite 11? Because the numbers are stacked against them. Those are the only successful quarterbacks from the Elite 11, and then the rest of them are probably selling cars somewhere. I mean, I mean, Frank, guess, guess who's the head coach of the Elite 11? You're going to get a kick out of this. Trent Dilfer? Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer. Didn't he get fired from ESPN? <laughs> Let's say it again. Trent Dilfer, the, 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 the 2000 Super Bowl winning quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. Trent I, Dilfer. I'd be more impressed if you said Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. But Trent Dilfer, you know, he's, sell, he's selling cars now, isn't he? <laughs> Did he get fired from ESPN? Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that on, on a future show. We'll, we'll <laughs> talk about that on the future show. Um, but one thing I do want to finish up before we wrap up the college, the college football, and, and I know you, you expressed it in the show about how, how they need to, call, they need to change the college playoff and how you were disappointed with Alabama getting in. But all, all that's a moot point. All that's a moot point. It's all irrelevant. And you know why it's irrelevant, Frank? Because roll, tie, roll. Alabama won. That's why it's irrelevant. They won. They got it done. Whether you like it or not. Now, now, Frank, I will say this much. If, if Alabama, right, if Alabama would have lost the first game against Clemson, if they would have got eradicated, then okay, sure, you got a point. But they got it done. And Nick Saban, he cemented his legacy. Six national championships, what, 2003, 2009, 2011, 2012, 2015, and now 2018? He's up there with the greats. He's a great football coach. I've never seen so much attention to detail as Nick Saban. And he finds the way to get it done. And like it or not, Frank, the committee got it right. 
Big Ten teams are not they did not belong in a in a college playoff this year. They just didn't belong in there. Yes, they did. Uh, yeah, I'll give you. I will agree with you. Nick Saban is an elite uh, football coach. Um, he is going to be going down as one of the greats. Uh, but let's see Alabama and Nick Saban's recent success with national championships. Uh, they won a national championship in a flawed BCS system. They won a national championship in a co- flawed college football playoff system. When you have a group of people who determine who goes to the playoff or not, it's, it, it's going to be flawed. There's going to be biases involved. Uh, and, I mean, we could get into an entire rant about this. Uh, but at the end of the day, Alabama didn't win their conference championship. Uh, Ohio State didn't win the conference championship last year. And Ohio State went in. Alabama went in. If, if you didn't have a committee deciding who made it in or not, Alabama would not be sitting – would not be playing in the national championship game this year. Well, well see, Frank, 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 see, if you I, made it I, I, don't go, I, I don't go by hypotheticals. I go by, I go by absolutes. I always tell people that. I don't go by hypotheticals. I go by what happened. The last time I checked, there was two SEC champions in this game. Alabama was one and Georgia was one. They weren't uh, Alabama. There, 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 no. Oh, I said there was. I said there was two SEC champions. Meaning that Georgia won the SEC championship, and Alabama won the national championship. And two teams in a national championship. Who were those two teams? What conference did they represent? The SEC. The SE. Say with me, Frank. The SEC. And even though, even though, if you don't want to say the SEC is not the best conference in football, they have the best teams in football. Can you oh, at least God. say that? No. No. Can you, least, can you at least say that? Can you at least admit that the SEC represented the national championship game? That's what happened. Whether you like the mid or not. And, and the thing about it is, as good as the Big Ten was this year, I'll admit, the Big Ten was good. Michigan was not as good as they were the prior year. I think that there's a lot of high expectations for Michigan this year, and they did not live up to that. But if you look at Wisconsin, you look at Penn State, uh, you look at Ohio State, they just had too many losses, in my opinion, to represent. Now, Wisconsin had the one loss, but, see, they didn't win the Big Ten championship. Ohio Weird. State did. Now, Wisconsin would have won. Then they would have deserved to be in. And I would have said, okay, Wisconsin deserves to be that 4C. But because that did not happen and because Ohio State had two losses, they were not, to me, the right team to represent the college playoff. And Alabama only had one loss. And I think head-to-head, Alabama would just destroy. They would destroy JT Barrett. JT Barrett wouldn't even know what to do against Alabama's defense. Uh, didn't JT Barrett already beat Alabama once in the national championship? Uh, they did. I, he did. So I, I'm talking about this year, though. I'm talking no, about I'm this year. That was when he had. That's when he had Zeke. So I'll give you that. But uh, Wisconsin didn't win the national championship. I'm sorry, their conference championship. They had one loss. Alabama didn't win their conference championship, and they had one loss. Uh, Wisconsin. Well, I mean, the Big Ten West kind of sucks, but the Big Ten East is the toughest. Is the Big Ten in general is the toughest conference in college football. The the reason Ohio State and Penn State have two losses is because they play good teams, whereas they don't they don't schedule 
as you say, blueberry cupcake muffin. Yeah, uh, you, got, you got it right. Teams, uh, at the end of the season, like Mercer. <laughs> Alabama's going to play Mercer again next year. You know what? You might as well go ahead and schedule a game against North Dakota State Tech Technical Institute School of Fargo to pad your stats. It's not even a real school. Hey, 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 Frank. Hey, Frank. North North Dakota State. Uh, that that they they developed Carson Wentz. No, no, no. I said North Dakota State Institute. Uh, oh, okay. Institute School wow. Technical Institute School of Florida of uh, Fargo. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I I understand that, Frank. I, I understand that the, the 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 you're very bitter right now, and I get that. You're very bitter. Uh, you really want Alabama to lose this, this national championship game. And uh, I know that it's been going around that maybe they should extend the college playoff. And if they should extend the college playoff, what, how many games should they extend it to? Uh, I'll, actually, I'll actually tell you. Because um, I did this like nifty little type-up thing, right, uh, at one point. And so I th- ultimately, I say you throw in your, your conference champions. Um, and so with the conference champions, you're saying like from all the, the major all, conferences, n- uh, not just the power five, because it'll be difficult because if we're going to say, okay, so all the conference champions from like, how many, like, how would you measure that? Like major mid major? I'm saying all of them. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking Amer- I'm American athletic conference conference, USA mountain West, do you realize how long that would take, Frank? The guys no, they, what, they wouldn't even make it up to the like, national championship game. They would be in wheelchairs. Like, no. You know? <laughs> no. They would be in wheelchairs and they would be they would have canes and walkers. <laughs> they would not no, survive, Frank. It this could be, this it could be done. Frank, are you trying to kill these kids? No. Okay, so here you go. Ready? I got it for you. So you have the American Athletic Conference, the ACC, the Big 12, the Big Ten, Conference USA, Mid-Atlantic. Mountain West, Pac-12, SEC, Sunbelt. And then you have your independents, and your independents are UMass Army, Notre what? Dame, and BYU. Those are your independents. Hold on. Those are your independents. Wait, wait what would you say? Did you say the Sun? What was that? The Sunbelt. The Sunbelt? Yeah, listen, listen. So these are all the conferences in college football, right? American ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Conference USA, Mid-Atlantic, Mountain West, Pac-12, SEC, and Sunbelt. Then you also have four teams that are in classified as independents, and that is University of Massachusetts, Army, Notre Dame, and Brigham Young. So what you do is you take your conference champions and then all of your conference champions and then your independent, one of the four independents with the best record, and they're in the playoffs, right? You, and then you'll add four at-large bids. So kind of like what we do now, if you want to throw in a committee that decides the next four at-large bids, kind of like the NCAA tournament does. So that'll be 15 total teams. The top three seeds get a bye with the top seed getting a two-week bye. Then you play, 12 teams will play. That's six games. Then you'll have six games, uh, six teams left. Eventually it'll be uh, brought down to three teams plus the top seed. And there you're in your semifinal. And then they play for the, uh, to go to the championship. Uh, and then you play your championship. Uh, that way, like the NCAA tournament, so you shorten your, you would shorten your season, right? Because right now, all teams play, uh, they play a total of 13 games. They play non-conference, uh, nine, non, uh, nine conference games and then four non-conference games. So say you shorten the non-conference, you bring it down to like two non-conference games, you shorten the season by a little bit. Uh, and like the NCAA tournament in basketball, 
every team knows whether they're in the power five or, or uh, a mid conference, they know that if they win their conference at the beginning of the season, they are automatically, they're, they're automatically in and they automatically have a chance to win a championship. Then everybody else can bid, uh, sorry, complain and moan about four at large bids, whatever. But don't, you can't even complain about that. If you won your conference, you'd be in, but that's my idea of how uh, you you make the college football playoffs. Yeah, well, well, Frank. I mean, I, I really appreciate your your virtuosity. I really do, and how you you meticulously broke down how it worked. It's just I I'll tell you from my opinion. I just think that it would be it would just take too long to get all the conferences. I mean, Frank, you have to get the get the Patriot League, the, the Pioneer League, the the Ivy League. No, no, I'm only like it would just be too many conferences. You know, it would just be too many, and then and then people will start crying the uh, title nine of of discrimination if you start uh kicking out certain teams that are in division one football no i'm only talking fbs is that fbs okay yeah i'm only talking fbs because that's the only teams of out of all these conferences american acc big 12 big 10 c uh conference usa mid-atlantic mountain west pac-12 sec and sunbelt and then your independence those are all the teams that encompass fbs and uh and the only teams that have a chance realistically to make it to the college football playoff but let's be real here the only teams that are going to make it to the college football playoff in this current format are going to be power five schools and the most honestly the most i would do i wouldn't even go to that level the most i would do if i were to extend it i would extend it to eight teams and that's it i think four teams is fine i think it adds to the competitive level the competitive nature it, it gives i think it's a good format in the sense that it keeps teams alive i mean there were so many twists and turns with the standings throughout this entire college playoff. You remember at one point, a lot of people thought Wisconsin and Miami were locks, and then Miami lost a couple of games, and Wisconsin lost a game. At one point, Auburn was a team that was a hot team that people thought were gonna, that they were going to represent the college playoff. I just thought of the college football playoff was fun because it kept on changing. It was so dynamic. Although I do believe that – I know you say UCF was one of those teams that you felt should have been more recognized – being 13-0, maybe they, they should have got more recognition. Maybe they should have had a, a more fair shot at getting in, given the fact they are in the American Athletic. So with that in mind, if you had eight teams get into the college playoff, it would have been Penn State. I would have had Penn State, Wisconsin, UCF, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Alabama. That's what I would have had my, as my top eight teams in the college playoff, and that would have been fair. And, but at the same time, Frank, we still be complaining, <laughs> you know? We still and, would be. Well, the, and that's why I said with my idea of, of a college football playoff where you encompass all of the FBS conference champions to include the independent, that is more of a fair advantage because everybody's still going to complain whether you make it eight teams or you, and then you add a two at large bid to make it 10 teams. People are still going to complain. But when you take every conference champion and you throw them into a playoff, you know that that's going to be a lot more fair because right now the system we have it, whether it be – Four teams, eight teams, or ten teams, um, the power five schools are always going to be the ones competing for a national championship, and it ultimately gives those teams in the mid-conferences, like Conference USA, like American Conference, and so on, it gives those teams – those teams have no shot no matter what they do, and that is is proof by how UCF played this year. They went undefeated. They said, well – Strength of schedule suck. You played in a weak conference. Sorry, you're not a worthy team. I think that's unfair. 
I really yeah, do. And, and I get that. But, but I do want to ask you as we wrap up this whole conversation about the college playoff. I think it's a conversation we can go on for ages about. I think it's always going to be controversial. Um, you can look at the college basketball. First in the NCAA tournament, it was only 32 teams. And then eventually they extended it to 64 teams. And now 68 teams. And there's always that argument of the teams that are on the bubble, the teams that don't make it, the last teams that are on the bubble. Sometimes teams make it into the tournament based on reputation. That's the argument people were using about Alabama, why Alabama got to the college playoff. So with all that in mind, right, all the controversy that's been going on, Alabama proved that they deserve to be in, even though I know that's to your chagrin, you don't agree with it. But if SEC is not the best conference in football, and it's the last question I want to ask you, who is then? Big Ten. Big Ten, okay. So you got the Big Ten, I got the SEC. And, and that's for, I think that that's what makes it so much fun that for the next couple of years, it's going to be those two teams until, until the ACC steps it up again. And the ACC had a pretty good year. They really did with Miami and Clemson. You know, Miami started to fall off down the stretch. I think it's always going to come down to the Big Ten and SEC of who really has the best conference. Uh, and that's something that we will be debating next year. We will be getting much more into that next year. But as we close up the show, uh, Frank and I, we got some final thoughts, some final random thoughts. And the thing I think about, right, my final thought is the topic of how the Browns, the Browns, yes, the Cleveland Browns, how the Cleveland Browns, 0-16 Cleveland Browns, the Browns that have won one game in two years, they had a parade, a parade, a parade for losing games. And Philadelphia, we talked about the process and how terrible the process was and how when Sam Hankey, even though I'm a fan of Sam Hankey, I'm an advocate of Sam Hankey, I'm a Sam Hankey type guy, how much we hated that, how that was celebrated, that we were getting draft pick at the draft pick, top draft pick at the draft pick, and the fact that the process didn't even exactly work the way how it intended to be, from B getting hurt to Simmons getting hurt to Dario Sarge playing overseas and then finally coming back. And then they traded Michael Carter-Williams, and they traded Nolan Noel. The process didn't actually pan out the way that they intended to pan out, even though now the Sixers have been playing very well lately. But the Browns celebrating the 0-16 season? What's that about? LeBron James is not happy about it. He expresses displeasure for it. 0-16, Frank, in the upcoming draft, they're going to have the first overall pick and the fourth overall pick. But how do you celebrate 0-16? How do you have a parade? I thought parades were supposed to be for championships. Well, uh, they are now the second team in NFL history to go 0-16. So I guess they're celebrating history making. <laughs> you know, you know it's, just, it's just crazy to me. I mean, I understand. I understand. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. But at the same time, why have a parade about it? I wouldn't have a parade. Well, you got they got to celebrate something. I, I guess they're fans, you know. They're, I think they're I think they're mocking anything more. They're making a joke at, uh, out of the situation more than anything. I think they're mocking the team, and I think that's why a lot of uh, NFL players and uh, athletes in other sports are upset about it. Yeah, not gonna see that. I mean, that's that's my brand. That's my final thing. I think the Browns. I think the Browns, I think they will be good in time. I really do. I know I give Hugh Jackson a tough time, but, I mean, what do you expect? I think that we had the first overall pick. You had the fourth pick. There's been rumors that they might trade. They offer that fourth pick for Jimmy Garoppolo, and that would be a real blockbuster. They're able to 
land Jimmy Garoppolo, which I doubt will happen. Um, the Browns, I think it's hopeful for the Browns. It, it really is hopeful. It really is. They just, I think they just got to get their quarterback, and they won't make the same mistake they made uh, a couple years back when they when they handed they handed Carson Wentz over to us the, for, in Philly. So, what what is your final thought, Frank? So, my final thought is uh, within the sports community um, and being fans of uh, of all sports, every team has this idea of a curse, right? The Boston curse when they got rid of Babe Ruth, Chicago Cubs curse. Uh, having to do wasn't in an animal or something like that and why they didn't win a world series for over a hundred years. Well, in Philly, we have our own curse and they call it the curse of William Penn. A lot of people argue that that curse went away the second the Philadelphia Phillies won the 2008 world series. Well, I say, no, it didn't go away. So for those of you who didn't know, William Penn sits atop independent, uh, sorry, the Capitol building, uh, the capital of Philadelphia it sits, uh, sits on that, the top of the building. And they said that they did not want to build anything taller than William Penn's statue. Well, Philly ended up building buildings taller than William Penn's statue. And they say it's, the city is cursed now and our teams can't win national championships because uh, they built it after, I believe, the Sixers won the uh, NBA Finals in 82. So I have a little William Penn statue that sits with me on my desk next to my uh, computer when I do these podcasts with Brent and uh, I will make sure as the playoff season uh, is getting ready to start for the Philadelphia Eagles and their fans, I will put this at the highest point of the house that I'm watching the game at. (laughs) Well, well, Frank, I will hope that with that, the curse will be lifted. Well, Frank, I really think that the whole William Kurt, the William Penn curse, I think it's over. I think it really ended when the Phillies won in 2008. That's why I say. I get it. We, if we haven't won a championship since the curse was created, whatever that may be, then okay. But the curse is dead. We got our, our championship. Yeah, sure, it was 10 years ago. But we didn't get our championship. And, and, and I'm not just so – I'm not really a big believer in the, this whole curse, the curse thing. I think that people like – people are very superstitious – especially when it comes to uh, baseball. You know, baseball players, they're always doing the same routine when they're at the batter's box or when they're in the dugout. Same, same routine, same everything. All these unusual, bizarre, bizarro type of routines. But I, I happen to have confidence in, the, in William Penn. And, and I think it really bodes well for our podcast in the city of Philadelphia that, that, that Frank, you have a little, a, a little William Penn and memorabilia sitting in front of your, uh, your, your desk right now. Oh, and the and a Liberty Bell and, and a Liberty Bell. Yeah, you know, so those are two combinations you just can't beat. You really can't beat those two combinations. So <laughs> I really just don't have a problem. But that that is really interesting, though. I, that's I think that's one of the curses that people don't really talk about enough in Philadelphia. Um, and it's one of those things that because I I never really put too much attention to it, but I think that was really good for you to bring that up. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, you know, Frank and I, you know, we, we thank you guys for listening to our podcast. Our next podcast, we will cover more of the actual matchups in the divisional round. We we talked about the Eagles and the Falcons, but we'll get into the Saints and the Vikings, and we'll get into the Jags and the Steelers, and all as well as the Patriots and the Titans. So thank you for listening to uh, Look at the Film, Potter Rants on a Reel, and we'll be back on Friday. If you enjoy listening to Look at the Film, then stay tuned for new episodes every week. 
on podcast.com. That's podcast with an S.com.